This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. Horcruxes, Hallows, Hatred, and Hope. It's all come down to this. It's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to the final installment of this film is lit. Not ever, just (laughs) in relation to Harry Potter. Uh, This is it. This is the final one. This is uh, the last movie for now uh assuming unless they remake it or we get a tv show one day or something yeah of the main harry potter series so this is uh this is all we got left but uh before we get started we gotta thank some people yeah this has been a pretty big undertaking for us mm-hmm. we've been doing this now since the end of july yes here we are almost done with november um, so it's been quite the track we have a couple thank yous to give um, obviously we owe a huge thank you to trevor Mm-hmm. Um, watching all the movies, recording questions, that was a big time commitment. Yeah. And we really appreciate that you were willing to do that for us. Yes. it's It was slightly less of a time commitment than our original plan, but still absolutely a uh, a favor that he yeah. that he offered and extended to us to do that for us. So we, we really appreciate it. Uh, another thank you goes to my sister, Jenna, for lending us her Harry Potter complete <laughs> DVD set. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, we own some of the films, but not all of them, and it was really nice to not have to stress about where the movies were going to come from when we needed them. Yep, that was fantastic. And last, uh, shout out to our local libraries. Yeah, support your local libraries. Yeah, for uh, coming in clutch with extra copies of the books, because Brian's are all at his parents' house, mm-hmm. and there is no way we could have shared. Yes, I only had the book one yeah. of mine was the only one I had, so yeah, we... Uh, we we hit up the local library and we're able to get the rest of them so that way we could yeah so support read. your local libraries yeah. like brian said they need your uh your statistics <laughs> yeah <laughs> and by supporting yeah just go and use them yeah. use your local libraries which we do a ton also we want to remind you that if you're enjoying this if you've enjoyed our harry potter series or like our show in general do us a favor go rate and review us on itunes stitcher or wherever you download us from we'd also like to mention that wherever you download us or listen to us could now include spotify we are on spotify if you've been listening to us on another service and you prefer spotify or whatever we are now every single episode uh, that is available anywhere else is also available on spotify now so just look us up you just you know search this film is lit on spotify and we pop right up with that let's do it let's set into the final episode of the harry potter series with muggle questions part one muggle non-magic folk. Brian Katie, thank you again for having me on This Film is Lit, Harry Potter edition, our last one. Kind of sucks. 
In the beginning of the movie, Harry mentions that he knows Voldemort has the Elder Wand. Did the book explain how he figured that out? So Harry has a vision of Voldemort taking the wand from Dumbledore's grave. It's mm-hmm. one of his mind meld yeah. moments with Voldemort. Throughout the series, we've seen that. Harry seeing inside of, of seeing what Voldemort's doing and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So that's what this is. And it's the scene at the end of part one movie. Like yeah. the final scene of that movie, and they replay it again at the beginning of part two. Yeah, they don't really make it clear or or even allude to it at all that that's in Harry's mind. Yeah, at least not at really the end of part one. Get that? They might have a little bit at the beginning of part two, but I can't remember. But yeah, um, in the book, it is very clear that Harry is seeing this happen. We're mm-hmm. we're cutting back and forth between what Harry's doing and Voldemort going to get the wand. So that's how Harry knows. It seemed to me that McGonagall sending all of Slytherin House to the dungeon for the comments that one girl made was a little overboard. Did that did that come across that way to you guys? Uh, we agree about this. Uh, we had it in our better at the book, but better in the book. But we're going to talk about it now. Uh, it's not remotely what happens in the book. Yeah, it's kind of a, a stark departure yes. from what happens in the book. Yeah. And and as you said, uh, it's a bit overboard, and that's it feels that way because that's not within character for McGonagall mm-hmm. necessarily, or what, again, it's not what happens uh, in the book. McGonagall basically gives Slughorn and the rest of the Slytherins. Uh, that whole scene plays out slightly different, but uh, in this general gist, McGonagall gives Slughorn and the Slytherins the chance to basically choose where their, their loyalties lie is what yeah. she says. She says you can stay and fight or you can run away or because they evacuate most yeah, of the students. They don't address that really in no. the movie. They evacuate a lot of the students through the hallway. Everybody side. underage, so yeah. anybody under 17 or 16. So like pretty much the entire student body. Most of the student <laughs> body is not in the school anymore when the attack happens. Mm-hmm. Uh and they give them the opportunity like you can go and leave with them or you can stay and do it, you know. Yeah, there's and no imprisoning of anyone. There's no in the go dungeons. to the dungeons and like yeah, I, I thought that was silly. I I had that in better in the book because I thought that was a stupid yeah. change and it it feels very now to be fair, they're not much addri- the Slytherins aren't addressed much better in the book. And the only Slytherin that we have any evidence actually did fight against Voldemort is Horse Slughorn. Yeah. He was the only one that we get any at least from what I remember, there was a, a even a line about how all the Slytherins left. Mm-hmm. So um but we do know Slughorn stayed and helped. Or sorry, he didn't stay. He left and came back. So maybe some Slytherins came back. Maybe because the slughorn in the movie just stays and fights. But in the book, he comes back and we'll talk about how that happens later. But uh, yeah, so that's not that's not how it happens. And we agree it doesn't doesn't really work. Does the book talk about why Hogwarts has such badass defenses? I mean, it was cool. Don't get me wrong, but it is a school. I know it's a castle, too. Was it always a school? I It just seemed unique is how I'll put it. Uh, I'm sure this is explained in probably in Hogwarts, a history yeah, I couldn't find anything uh, in any of the seven books. I also did some Googling around for on on various Wikipedias and, you know, the Harry, po- Harry Potter Pedia or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, Mugglepedia or whatever it's called. Uh, it seems as though it was constructed by the original four founders, which yes. is Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw and Gryffindor uh, at around 900 AD is what the I okay. saw something like that. Um So it doesn't because one of his questions was, was it something else before? Like, you know, it was a castle, obviously, but was it like something else 
like was it some king's castle or wizard's castle mm-hmm. before it became a school? And I didn't see anything to that effect, but it could be. True, sure, yeah. it could be. But uh, my my always thing that I or the way I always took it with the with the defenses and with the statues and all that sort of thing was that it's basically the founders when they built it created just sort of normal defense mm-hmm. normal defense features for wizards. So your parallel to a Muggle school would be security alarms, uh, metal detectors, yeah. security guards. All that kind yeah. of stuff. And we know that Hogwarts is kind of a crazy place. Like there are yeah. passwords to get into pretty much everywhere yeah. and moving staircases and all kinds of like hidden little traps and yeah. things. And, you know, I guess it might make sense that the founders would want to keep the school very safe. I don't know how much danger witches and wizards would actually be in yeah. from muggles yeah. Egg, in yeah, this th- universe, but Right. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah, because again you could argue what are they making these defense features from? I mean, yeah. unless they thought ahead to the idea of, you know, evil wizards. Because yeah, really they were dealing with them wizard. even yeah. without you know, throughout history they've always dealt with yeah. evil wizards of some sort. And so they worried maybe, you know, somebody try I, I don't know. But that's well how I always took it. It's just like sort of the same things muggle schools would have. Mm-hmm is kind of what this is, except the magic version. So, All right, that was first part. In part one of Muggle Questions, let's get into the behemoth, the final <laughs> behemoth section. Better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. It's not as bad as some of our other ones. Uh, it's two... It's about... And a half pages. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty long. We've we've seen worse. I guess we've seen worse, but yeah, it's pretty long. Um, I you, I want you to start with this because my part's not really super relevant. Your first note okay. here makes more sense. There's so more the movie doesn't give us any of the lore on goblins, mm-hmm. and we actually get a little bit of like their background. Yeah. Um, in the book, uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione talk a little bit about it. Um, and. Hermione has an an awfully relevant line um, where she says, wizarding history often skates over what wizards have done to other magical races. Gee whiz, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, But we get a little bit of that. And then Harry also has a conversation with Bill Weasley. Yeah. Who Who is a... If you haven't read the books, you wouldn't know that he works at Gringotts. He works for Gringotts. So he works closely with Goblins. goblins. Yeah. Um, and basically kind of what it boils down to is that goblins have a different idea of ownership yes. than wizards do. Their, their, their whole thing with, if, if they make an item, if a, an item is goblin made, they essentially loan it yeah. to the person who purchases it. And then if that person passes away or whatever, it reverts back to the yeah, goblin who made it. It should come back to the original and that maker. Whoever that it doesn't pass on to that person's kid or whatever. Yeah. And so there's the whole thing with the sword and that grip. That's why Griphook wants the sword is because mm-hmm. the gri- sword of God or Gryffindor, according to Griphook, and they never were able to confirm this. But according to Griphook, it was created by a goblin. And was basically uh, it was for Ragnar- Ragnarok the first well, or something Hook, like well, that. We, we knew it was Goblin made. Sorry, um, but, but yes, Grip Hook claims that the sword was stolen by Godric Gryffindor. Yeah, yeah. of course, there's no way to prove no that. way to prove it. But that's the idea, and so that's one of the reasons he wants the the sword back. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's really interesting, and I agree though, and this is something we'll talk about later. There's some very problematic elements of the portrayal of goblins. It is, it is problematic because you have to consider 
that historically, yeah, within our fairy tales and our folklore, which is where J.K. Rowling pulls this oh, from, yeah. this idea. Yeah, goblins, of goblins aren't a new idea. Um, they're Jewish stereotypes. Yes, yeah. They're. I mean, any and especially how she portrays them in this mm-hmm. universe is very much falls in line with anti-Semitic. Portrayals of 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 sort of Jewish inspired, you know, like anti-Semitic uh, stereotypes about Jewish people and that sort of thing. Yeah. Of you know, they're these miserly, money grubbing, yeah, that's, that's hook nosed, like yeah, yeah, evil <laughs> things. Like yeah, it's it's very rough. It's real rough. Uh, and we'll talk about that more in our episode about. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to call it. I I probably stole this from somewhere, but the crimes of J.K. Rowling. We're <laughs> 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 world of Harry Potter. The crimes. Of, I don't know something. We'll come up with a name for it, but. Yeah, it's uh, we'll talk about it more in there because that's definitely something something to discuss. I don't know what this means. How could it be the same piece of mirror? I'm not sure what that means. Okay, so the mirror that Harry sees Aberforth in Mm -hmm. um, in the book, it's two mirrors. Yeah. So and then in the movie, he sees the mirror, but it's missing a piece. And is that what it is? The I missed that, that completely. The missing is the piece that he's holding. Oh, yeah, that's not like, what... That doesn't make any sense. I, like, I missed that. I didn't see that. How could it possibly be yeah. the same mirror? It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's nonsense. No. I, and I, it's not what I saw, I guess. I Maybe because they never explained it in well, the movie, yeah, they so they're trying to come up with a way to tie it together. Because that was set up in Order of the Phoenix. Right. Sirius gives him, like, And we never saw that. Yeah, these two-way mirrors. They're, like, walkie-talkies. Yeah, we talked about them in the last yeah. episode, I think. Um, so Harry's gets broken in his trunk, but he still has this good sized piece of it. Yeah. And then Aberforth ends up having the other the one other that Sirius had. Yeah. 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 I guess my, like I said, I think it's, they did that just so people could say they never set this up in the movie and it became mm-hmm. an important thing that yeah. they didn't realize was going to be important when they didn't include it in the fifth one. So they had to like make it clear to viewers and again, I didn't even notice that it was the same piece missing from the yeah. other mirror. But they had to try to make it clear to viewers, oh, that's how they're seeing each other. Like this, it's from this mirror or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tie these things together somehow. Yeah, that's that's weird. I didn't. It, it didn't. just doesn't make any sense. It truly doesn't. Uh, they cut this out. I bet this is a deleted scene. Lupin comes to tell them that uh, they had their baby. Yes. At, when they're at the cottage in the beginning of this movie. Uh, and he also tells him Harry is the Godfather. He yeah, also he says names Harry, names Harry the Godfather, which I want to talk about later because I'm confused by that. By I, how I the epilogue an of this. To that okay, well, we'll talk about it later. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting scene, and it's also it would have been nice to know. I mean, they mentioned it at the end, kind mm-hmm. of after they oh with the ghosts in the end. Like that's the only reference we have that the baby was actually born, right? Or do they mention it before the fight? I don't even know. Oh, they do mention it before the fight because they say they say her dad's or mom's watching the baby, I think, yeah. or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. I think Just that the baby was ever even born. I don't feel like the movie never mentioned that until I don't, after. I don't think they did. <clears throat> I, know, I don't know if the movie even mentioned that they were having a baby. They did, I think. Right in the Seven Harry scene in, in part one, I'm pretty sure when they get there, she says... Oh, and big news. Tonk says like, I thought I think she says something about being oh. pregnant. I could I could have swore like when I right after <laughs> Bill introduced. Well, there's so many things going on in that scene. They crammed so much exposition. I'm pretty into that sure scene. that they they say that she's pregnant in that scene. Okay, I, I believe. I'm you. like 99 percent sure, but it was quick. And again, there was like eight other things happening, and that's like they yeah. introduced Bill in Florida. It was right after that, and I swear she says something about like 
oh, by the way, good happy news for us. We're bright or something like that. They do set it up or at least mention it. I'm pretty sure. This is the thing I've had with the problem I've had with the Polyjuice Potion throughout the movies is that they keep their voices in the movies, mm-hmm. which I guess I get for like the fun of it. But it's I, yeah. so weird to me because it makes it less like they use these to like go around and impersonate people and like get into places. If you just sound like Hermione just sounds like Hermione yeah, when she's she Bellatrix. Sound like Bellatrix and at people all. would absolutely know. And same thing in the in the ministry in the first movie of this, you know, in the part one is like they know what Harry, the guy Harry is sounds like he's like a Death Eater. Yeah. And like a higher up in the ministry, and he, but he just sounds like Harry. <laughs> like this guy, no way they sound like this. But in the book, yeah, they, it, their voices change. Yeah, it change your, changes your voice. And I, I mean, I assume that they probably did that, maybe so that dummies could follow along. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's also like more fun. Yeah, it's like oh, oh you know, kind of funny hearing. Yeah, kind of silly to hear Hermione's voice right. coming out of Bellatrix. That's that I think another thing. part of it. Uh, I don't think Ron looks... I think Ron looks too much like Ron. You have this later. I mean, you can tell it... I mean, to me, it just... In the book, he, he Hermione physically transfigures him, which I guess she does in this, too. But he just has, like, long hair and a beard in this. I and thought in, they did a pretty uh, good I, job. All right. But, like, to me, like, he just looks like he has, like, long hair and a beard. Whereas in the book, she, like, physically transfigures his, like, facial facial features. Yeah. And, Ron, and Harry's like, I didn't... If I didn't know him, I wouldn't be able to tell you that was him. And now you said that about this, and I don't feel... I don't know. I felt like he looked way too much like Ron, but... I thought... I think for what they were going for, I think it worked. I just think he looked... I imagined him to look way more different than he does. Again, you have this in a different section, and I completely disagree, <laughs> but uh, but I do ha- agree with some of your points later. But uh, when they get into the... Bellatrix's vault. Yes. The treasure all starts multiplying and stuff, but it also, and this is not in the movie, it also burns them. Yeah. Like it has it, like a... When it touches their skin. It, a fire jinx yeah. on it. And I I forgot about this in the book, and I think your point about this later, because again, you have this in a different section, it makes sense. I have a valid point. I yeah. agree. I just, it was terrifying to me. It, like, it's already terrifying to being crushed by all the gold and stuff, but it's also mm-hmm. like, when you're reading that scene, they're like scalding themselves like trying to do anything yeah. like and just blisters everywhere i'm like oh god that sounds truly terrible like way worse than just like lots of gold everywhere i don't know i i i, I get i can see why they changed it and again i think your point that we're going to talk about later is valid i just it, i was always everyone i forgot about it and then when rereading it this time i was like wow that would suck that would really suck um so part two Deathly Hollows Part 2, I was laughing about it while yeah. we were watching it because it kind of proceeds as if Part 1 covered any of Dumbledore's backstory. Kind of, yeah. But it also still strips out most of it. Yeah. So, But yes, but they do have the whole scene with Aberforth in the Hogshead where you're like, and they mention Ariana on the wall and all this, and you're like, if you hadn't read the book, you'd be like, wait, yeah. what is all this about? Um, it's still, and that's another problem I have with this one is they just completely strip out the entire Dumbledore, mm-hmm. not only his family story, not, and I'll say they strip out entirely. They have the one scene with Aberforth that just sort of alludes to the idea that Dumbledore 
had some sort of weird shit going on with his family and that like maybe he's yeah. not the great man you thought but they never resolved that in any way like that never that never plagues harry in the movie right well, he I mean, and have that's this... the issue with it is yeah. that without that backstory harry never doubts dumbledore yeah. it never plagues him so when we get to the scene with aberforth and aberforth is like oh well he left you a job huh was it a nice yeah. job do you like it it doesn't yeah, it doesn't it feel... It doesn't ring the same way Yeah, because the, the only doubt we've had previously is mainly from Ron being like, yeah. what do you, we don't know where we're going, or in the movie, in the first movie, the only doubt we've really had is Ron going, we don't know where we're going. What Did Dumbledore tell you anything? Like, well, how do you know? And that's why he yeah. leaves, or one of the reasons he leaves. But, yeah, in the book, we don't, or in the movie, we don't get the rest of it where, the, and we mentioned in the first episode with Harry reading all the backstory, these, the Reader Skeeter, Rita Skeeter articles about Dumbledore and all that sort of stuff, and like his weird shady past mm-hmm. with Grindelwald and the letters about yeah. rising up and suppressing, or, you know, and, and uh, like not knowing exactly repressing what went on with and, his family, but that seems right. kind of shady too, yeah. and just all this stuff that we don't know. So that he just doubts Dumbledore, yeah. and then that sort of puts his whole mission in. And again, I can kind of see why they dropped it. it. You know, of the sort of themes that they dropped from the movies, that's probably like the one I'm least upset about mm-hmm. in terms of like how important I think it is to the overall narrative or thematic narrative elements of like, because I mean, OK, so what's the point of that is <sighs> heroes are can be complicated uh, and not always you know people aren't wholly good or wholly evil yeah they're complicated uh especially also your heroes that you you people you look up to you can't always you can't look at them and just assume that every or not assume but just trust everything they always tell you and yeah, that they're, they're not infallible they're not infallible and that's and that's that's an important and i i would think one of the themes too here is that people can change right and that's a big one yeah. people can change which the movie doesn't the movies don't tend to do a lot with because they also cut out sort of the whole thing with James uh, and his the way his character kind of changes although it's not as fleshed out in the books either really we don't get too much into his later life yeah we we get hints but but yeah and then um, the biggest one we get is Snape and it's it's why and we'll talk about it later but it's the whole you know Snape changing as a character but does he really change that much does he (laughs) yeah Uh, so we'll talk about that later but um, yeah, yeah, the the changing, and I think because Dumbledore's the big one is that Dumbledore did change a lot mm-hmm. from his child, from his youth until through his yes. adulthood, um, and I, I think that's an important message. But I just again, it's not as important as some of the other themes that they drop about the you know the mm-hmm. the inadequacies inadequacies between not inadequacies the oppression of of minorities by wizards and mm-hmm. and love and because they kind of touch on all that stuff a little bit but it's not bolstered in the same way so if they're if they're i would rather they spend more time bolstering up those themes which they didn't really do yeah then this yeah, one that's a fair point but they kind of didn't do any of it super well so you know yeah oh and i also just thought the the storyline with ariana with her basically she gets assaulted by muggles and like suffers mm-hmm. from ptsd essentially her whole life because of it yeah. it's really interesting and I think that's kind of what, if I remember re- correctly, Fantastic Beasts kind of goes into that a little bit with what's his name, isn't? I thought, I don't know, maybe I think it that's is kind of to be like the same what thing. That's, that's supposed to be going on with the uh, the Flash, because like he was suffered a lot of. I can't. I I say this. I don't remember anything about the first movie, and we <laughs> haven't seen Crimes of Grindelwald. But, anyways, 
the whole storyline with Ariana and Dumbledore's family, I think it's really interesting, but it's not yeah. in the movies at all. No, it is really interesting. This, I can't believe, wasn't in the book. I mean, I mean the movie. I, again, I, I don't know how you really... I mean, even a throwaway line would have been great, because it's just a throwaway line in the book, but I think it's hilarious, is that when uh, Harry and them show up at Hogwarts and they're talking to Neville and he's kind of explaining everything, he mentions in the book that they send people after your family mm-hmm. like the death eaters at hogwarts if they're trying to like keep you in line at hogwarts yeah they send somebody after your family or vice versa like with xenophilius they send right they go, they go after, after luna to try to yeah. control you right so they sent a death eater after neville's because neville's acting out and you know leading the hashtag resistance at hogwarts <laughs> and they send a Death Eater, and it, since she's a little old lady, his grandma, they're like, they just send, like, a one Death Eater, and she ends up putting him in the hospital and then goes <laughs> on the run. <laughs> Which I was like, fucking A. Good have for Grandma Neville. Have we actually seen her in the movies? I don't think we have. I don't think we The closest have. we've got is Snape in her clothing, yeah. I think. Probably. Because I think one of the only times we see her in the book is... Um, at the hospital scene yeah. in Order of the Phoenix, and that's not in the movie. Yeah, you're right. I think that is one of the only times we see her, probably. Yeah. Maybe one other time that I can't remember. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah we don't. Such a shame. But yeah, he mentions that she goes on the run. And then there's a really sweet moment, though, that she writes him a letter as she's on the run uh, saying how proud she is of Neville, Aww. which is, he's always sort of lived in the shadow of his parents and that sort of thing. Um, and his, and, he's, his, and, and his, there's, he tells a story in the first book about how his his family has always like like they thought they haven't thought have much out much of him because they're like you know he, yeah. maybe he's going to be a squib he just doesn't seem very talented you know and his parents were these super talented wizards and it's you know they were always kind of disappointed they still loved him and cared about him but they were like ah, you know kind of well, Neville was kind of always that I don't want to call him a fuck up because he's not really a fuck up he's just kind of weak sauce. For was. most of the series. Well, yeah. not even for most, for like the first three. But that's kind of like yeah. the role he plays, right. is what I'm saying, within yeah. the narrative. Yes, for sure. He plays, yeah, the the kind of, yeah, cowardly, to some extent. Kind of like goofy, bumbling. Yeah. Putts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so she tells him she's proud of him, and it's a very sweet moment. Here's the thing that I can't yeah. believe Yeah, how did they not the put movie? this in the movie? Um, Other than I know why they didn't put it in the movie, but we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Harry Crucio's one of the... Um, yeah. One of the... The Caros. So the Caros are the two Death Eaters that are, like, running things along with Snape at Hogwarts. And they break into Hogwarts, and they go... This is when they're going to look for the diadem, basically. And one of the Caros shows up. Yeah. And McGonagall's also there because she finds him at this point. And there's an argument between McGonagall and the Death Eater. Kara, I think it's the male. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it is, I think, but I can't remember. Um, yeah, it is because he said he spat at you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so it would be the male because it's a brother and sister. But And uh, they're arguing and she says something and the Death Eater spits in her face. And Harry at the time is under the invisibility yeah. cloak. Which he is a lot in this book, which they don't do in the movie. But he, uh, which I forgot how much time he spends under his invisibility cloak in this book, which is why a lot of the stuff changed in the movie, I think. But still, he <laughs> and Harry Crucios the Death Eater, yeah, like immediately, like immediately, and like throws him, and it ends up throwing and slamming him against the wall. 
Uh, and it's yeah, it's a fucking yeah. badass moment. <laughs> but like, like the best part of it is is that McGonagall's like, you shouldn't have done that, <laughs> yeah. and Harry just says he's bad at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now the reason I think this isn't in the movie is when now we do see Harry use an unforgivable curse in Gringotts. He mm-hmm. imperios several people. Yes, but. Harry has never, he's only tried to use Crucio once in the movies when he tried to use it on Bellatrix. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time he's tried, done it in the books, too. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think this is the only moment in the entire series where any of our main characters ever use Crucio on somebody. Like, the good characters. Yeah. Literally the only time, I think. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they wanted to keep that, that felt, that I feel like they were like, we can't put that in. Because, I mean, you could still do that and just have it not be Crucio. You can just have Yeah, him. they could have had him stun him. They could have, yeah, all, yeah, something, whatever. But I think that's why they changed that and cut that out. Also, the way they streamline, which we'll talk yeah. about later, the whole arriving at Hogwarts and how that all plays out. But yeah, I, I think they just didn't want Harry, Harry Crucioing somebody because they felt like that's like to kids and to mm-hmm. younger people watching, that's like code for you're evil if you use this spell. Like, it's it would yeah. be confusing yeah. to. Put some audiences potentially. Um, Another fun little thing that we learn in the book is that McGonagall's Patronus is three cat versions of herself. Oh, it's one cat version of herself. Three. Yeah, there are three because she's sending one to each of the headmasters. I guess that's what it is. It's but it is a cat version of herself, yeah, normally. But yeah, her, her yeah. Patronus is her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a boss ass bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's her for sure. But the reason there's three in that scene is because she's sending them as a message to the other three how, uh, headmasters to warn them that this what's going on. Like how the order always uses yeah. the. That's what it I is. I guess that's the only time we've ever seen somebody send out like multiple yeah. Patronuses. Yeah, because she sends it up and they run off to talk yeah. to Slughorn, Sprout, and Flitwick. But the big takeaway here yeah. is that McGonagall's Patronus <laughs> is, herself. is McGonagall. Yeah, <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> in the book, in the movie, uh, when they get to Hogwarts, Jenny's just there yeah. in the room requirement hanging out with everybody, uh, which Jenny actually hasn't been in school. And I like that because I like her showing up with everybody. Uh, and also it makes sense so that we find out that they've all been hiding basically like over the course of the semester, like Neville and a bunch of other people have been sort of leading the resistance have ultimately ended up having to either hide or like leave Hogwarts. Yeah. Especially if they have family members out in the world that are part of, you know, again, like the order of the Phoenix or or whatever, working against uh, Voldemort outside of the school. So Jenny has actually been like in hiding with the Weasleys mm-hmm. since I think they say Easter or something like that. Yeah, I think it was Easter. Um, so she's only, she hasn't been back in school. So she shows up with all the other Weasleys. And I like that moment too, where they all show up. Like people keep showing up in the book, in the movie, everybody just, there's a great, I do like how they do it in the movie where they all show up through the doors of the great hall. And yeah, I like that scene and we'll talk about that later, but I, I like the weirdness, or not the weirdness, uh, sort of Harry's exasperation in the book, because Harry's just there to find the Horcrux. He's not there to lead a revolution yeah. in that moment. He's there to find the Horcrux and destroy it. That's all he wants to do. And he gets there, and, and Neville and everybody starts sending out the message, and, and like all these people keep showing up, and like Jenny shows up, and then Luna and Dean show up, and then like half the Order shows up, yeah. the Weasleys show up, like all these people keep showing up, and Harry's like... I, Okay, I guess we're I guess we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, I like that in the book. I understand why they change it, but 
I think so. The Snape McGonagall duel in the movie is pretty good. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's it pretty its good. Moments. It has its moments. It has its things that work. But in the book, I much prefer the description in the book. Again, it reminds me of the same way I felt about Voldemort and Dumbledore's the duel. The duels are always more interesting. Way in more book. interesting in the book. I, they, they don't want to do all of the special effects. That's what it has to be, which is so, it's so wild to me with the budget yeah. of these films and when the you're movies, making them. In the movies, they basically just like shoot jets of light at each other. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. And now hers in this particular instance at least somewhat look like... Uh, what the description in the book is. Um, they're not just jets of light when her and McGonagall, but it is the same thing over and over again yeah. when her, uh, McGonagall and Snape fight. So, and they also don't do it in front of the great hall, but I have that in a different point. Uh, Professor McGonagall moved faster than Harry could have believed her wand slashed through the air. And for a split second, Harry thought the Snape must crumble unconscious, but the swiftness of his shield charm was such that McGonagall was thrown off balance. She brandished her wand at a torch on the wall and it flew off its bracket. Harry, about to curse Snape, was forced to pull Luna out of the way of the descending flames, which became a ring of fire that filled the corridor and flew like a lasso at Snape. Then it was no longer fire, but a great black serpent that McGonagall blasted the smoke, which reformed and solidified in seconds to become a swarm of pursuing daggers. Snape avoided them only by forcing the suit of armor in front of him. Yeah, by forcing the suit of armor in front of him, and with echoing clangs, the daggers sank one after another into its breast. And then Flitwick shows up and starts dueling at the same time against Snape um, and uses the armor to, like, grab Snape and yeah. that sort of thing. But anyways, and then and then Snape runs away. Snape flies away. Yeah. Which isn't impressive in the movie because all the Death Eaters can fly in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but in the book, it, it is. That is, a, yeah, him flying away as a sort of bad, baddie creature thing. Yeah. Basically, like Voldemort does in the book, they're like, oh, he learned that from Voldemort. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's the only, the one, only one, who can and so do that. Snape can also do it. It's kind of like a big deal, but yeah, it's everybody yeah. can do it, so it doesn't matter. Well, probably in the book, one of my favorite things about that scene was when they refer to the place where he like smashed as a Snape as a Snape shaped hole. hole in the window. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You imagine a Looney Tunes like yeah. <laughs> arms out like type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I just that's the thing. It's like so. There's like. It's this interesting back and forth of doing cool stuff with the magic. Yeah. And like like changing the other person's magic. And countering what they're doing with something else interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, using the armor to block the daggers, turning the daggers into, turning the fire into a snake, turning the snake into daggers, you know, like blah, 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 blah. Like, it feels more like a back and forth, like, battle of wits slash wills, as opposed to just like in the movie. So the battle, or the dumb, the, the, the McGonagall Snape duel in the movie, she shoots like a bunch of fiery bird snake looking mm-hmm. type things at him and he just blocks them. And it's kind of it's cool looking and it feels impressive. Like it feels like kind of impressive, but it's just she just uses the same spell. Yeah. Like six times in a row. And then eventually it kind of overwhelms Snape and he runs away. Yeah. And flies out the window. And it's like it was kind of cool, but like. There's no back and forth. There's no like right well, a duel lot of there. Times, it's like <laughs> the duels in the movie. Like they might as well just be shooting at each other. Yeah, they really might like as well just be gun. shooting. At, yeah, yeah. And when they're like and holding a shield up or something yeah. like or you know or like swatting away the bullet. Yeah, they truly might as well be. Or you know, really, what it could it is a lot like they could be shooting laser guns at each other while also holding a lightsaber and like deflecting. Yeah, the, that's literally <laughs> what like most of the duels in the movie look like. That or the stupid two beams connecting 
and like swirling around swirling around and like the the tug of war pushing back and forth which only works for the one specific yeah visual effect that they used it in four and at the end of this one but they use it all the time in the movies it's just that would be my biggest thing if they and the dumbledore one at the end of movie five is not terrible Mm -hmm. it has moments of that where they do that back and forth but it's still not as cool yeah it's just like how can it's (laughs) it's in the book just do what it says again it's more expensive it takes more time to animate (laughs) and all that stuff but it just seems like it would have not been that hard that's like a big moment in your movie dumbledore or mcgonagall and snape dueling yeah. Put a little more I money that, into it. I and... want that to be like my tagline for this show. It's in the book. Just do what it says. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get, <laughs> I mean, I have a huge segment on better in the movie and I get changing things, but there are some things where it's like, how, why would you think that was better? Or, or again, money probably, but. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about. Oh, we talked about this. Putting yeah. Slytherin into the dungeons. Oh, but I do like this in the book more. Yeah. Specifically what happens in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in the movie, Pansy Parkinson, we assume, we don't see her again, which kind of goes back to my thing of like, I don't know if we ever see Pansy Parkinson. We just hear a girl yell (laughs) from Slytherin uh, to grab Harry or whatever. And that happens in the book. But in in the movie, like the the people from Dumbledore's army kind of gather around Harry. Yeah. Like, you know, Jenny and Neville, you know, all those people kind of gather around Harry. Whereas in the book, they're at their tables and... Jen or uh, Pansy Parkinson yells it from the Slytherin table, and the Gryffindor table stands up and turns and looks at him. And then the other t- two tables, so the entire school, yeah, the entire school <laughs> turns to Slytherin and is like, "No," <laughs> and like that would be a really powerful moment more than like the ten or fifteen people, right? Yeah, kind of grouping around him. I thought it would have been cool, but it, uh, whatever. Um, so you said something about this probably being a deleted scene. Um, I, it would have to be, I yeah, would think. Yeah, because in the book we see Percy come back. And I literally almost started crying during that moment. Like yeah. when he first walks up, I got choked up like when he shows up. And it's like, did I miss it? Because he like yeah. walks, he comes bumbling through the, the passageway or whatever. Now, of course, the movies also haven't set up his betrayal arc, of no. his family and his character arc. Um, but he, he comes back. He comes yeah. to fight. Because he's been working for the ministry and sort of yeah. estranged from the Weasleys and, and that sort of thing for um, the past. And so there's a reconciliation scene yeah. with his family. Yeah. But also there's kind of a moment of humor where like Floor and Lupin are having yeah. this loud, awkward conversation yeah. to try to break the tension. Because there's like this weird tension of nobody knowing what to do. And Floor's like, so you had your baby. And he's like, yeah, I got a picture somewhere <laughs> around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's a funny moment. And it's a very, I I, I just like it overall. Mm-hmm. Bringing, well, Because we do in the movie see Percy at the end. Yes. It's the only time we see him. He's at the end. Once the battle's over, he's sitting there with the Weasleys. Which again, we're like, wait, wait, when did he show up? Why yeah. is he here? What, uh, so I'm wondering, maybe there's some sort of deleted scene where that happens. But yeah, I don't know. Also, not having this in leads to and, and a cutting his storyline from the previous ones leads to a them dropping a really important scene, in my opinion, later on. I think that it was partially yeah. what had to do with it. Now they could have done it a different way still but there's a huge drop coming up here shortly that i think was Mm -hmm. a really big mistake but no i agree 
Um, so then in the movie, we see Ron and Hermione in the Chamber of Secrets to get the yeah. the basilisk thing, yeah. um, in which we'll talk more about that. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. In a different segment. But there are a couple things um, that I didn't really care for here. <laughs> um, Voldemort's face in the water, and it has his face later in the fire, and I didn't like either of those things, and I'll talk about that more I liked, I didn't Later. even notice the water one. Is that where it comes out of the water yeah, when they stab and, it? like his face is in it. Not a huge fan of that. The fire one later, I have that in better in the movie, but we'll talk about it. But also, this is, it's the most awkward transition from a kiss scene ever. Oh, like, you're not in wrong. in the history of you're cinema. Not you're not wrong. They, Ron and Hermione, they embrace. This is it. And they this have big this moment. passionate kiss. Their first kiss in the And the, the Chamber of Secrets is all in the background yeah. and it looks really cool and then they pull back and they smile at each other and then an immediate transition. Hard cut to Voldemort. To Voldemort screeching. <laughs> and now it is awkward. I will give you this though. So they, they destroy the Horcrux and again we'll talk about this scene more later. But they destroy the Horcrux, and they embrace and they kiss, and then it cuts. It's almost this double, the double whammy of what is the again? What is the one thing Voldemort doesn't understand and will never get, and would and, and he just love? Yeah. And so it's like this juxtaposition of you know this the moment of her, her or Hermione and Ron coming together to just Voldemort screaming in pain. It's like yeah, that makes sense. That See tracks. now I feel. <laughs> Like Voldemort was a Harry and Hermione <laughs> shipper, and he was angry that his ship sank yeah. in that moment. That's what it is for sure. <laughs> he's like, he screams it to the fan forums. <laughs> <laughs> JK, how dare you? Yeah, not angry. That could be what it was. God. I disagree. I like Voldemort's face in the fire, but we'll talk about it later. We'll talk, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a specific reason that I dislike that, and I'll touch on that later when we talk about how Voldemort dies. Oh, yeah. I I've pro- I, I agree with... Oh, well, we'll talk about it later. I agree with that criticism, but this one is different. Uh, this is a little thing. I, I, I don't hate overall the way the movie sort of streamlines and, and gets Harry to finding the diadem. Mm-hmm. I think it does an okay job. Mm-hmm. What I like about the book version where Harry just remembers and we talked about this in the previous in book in movie six episode because we were like, hey, does the movie show Harry putting a tiara on a bust Mm -hmm. in the room of requirement because that's going to be important Uh, and they don't. Yeah. So they couldn't do this. But Harry just remembers there. He goes and he talks to the great lady and she tells him the whole history of the diadem and she stole it and all this stuff that we'll kind of talk about. And she goes, but I don't know what happened to it. Yeah. But something about their discussion triggers in Harry this memory because she's talking about a statue or something or they're talking about mm-hmm. the statue and, and he's seeing it on the statue. And then he thinks about because there also was the replica that Xenophilius had made, which was also on a statue. And he remembers putting that the, the tiara, tiara on, on the, the bust. bust in the room requirement. And, and he's it just like, goes, Boom, holy shit. That's it. That's it. And again, I like that. sort of the eureka moment i'm not a huge Mm -hmm. fan of but i do like the setup the 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 little fun treasure yeah i think in the grand scheme of things it's a small eureka moment right but i mean they couldn't do that because they didn't set up the tiara being in the room of requirement and then when he actually goes there in the movie it's like in a box yeah 
Yeah, because in the movie, the implication is that the ghost put it there. That she, or, or that she saw Tom put I it there. The, yeah. yeah, I think the implication was she that knew she Tom. knew he had put it she in there. She knew Tom had put it there, yeah, because she didn't do it. She, yeah. But anyways, so that, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I like, because again, like the locket payoff from book five to book yeah. seven, the, or slash book six, the, the, the tiara payoff from book six to book seven, those mm-hmm. little setting, these little tiny, seemingly insignificant things up. And then paying them off to me is very satisfying as a reader, especially yes. over the course of a series, especially on rereading, especially if you like didn't catch it the first time yes. and aren't like super involved in like the online, you know, <laughs> musings about uh, during at the time, which I was at the time. So I knew about, oh, shit, everybody was all all over that tiara like the, that could be a thing or all over the locket from book five, mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of stuff. But um, there is a little thing that I just thought was kind of funny and bleak. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the stone gargoyles in the book that's, I think, by the entrance to the Great Hall, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, has been, like, knocked over and knocked to pieces. And yeah. Harry runs past it, and it says to him, Oh, don't mind me. I'll just lie here and crumble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, again, it could have been an okay moment of levity during this battle scene, which mm-hmm. they do in other ways at times. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun little line. I think it would have been really cool to see, and particularly Professor Sprout and a lot of what goes on here. Um, we see Flitwick very involved in the defense of Hogwarts. We see McGonagall obviously very involved. Uh, we see Sprout at times in the background. Yeah. Slughorn's there yeah. doing stuff, which is actually not what happens in the book. Like I said, he leaves and then comes back mm-hmm. um, at the time in the, at the in the initial invasion in the book slughorn's not there um but he's he's evacuating students Mm -hmm. he gets all the students out but in the book sprout uh utilizes her specialty yeah along with neville mainly to fight off the death eaters and there's some really great moments that really would have been really fun to see with them one that you mentioned here Uh, where they lob mandrakes (laughs) over the walls which yeah. is a, a cue back to book two. Yeah. Where we learn that the cry of a mandrake kills you. Yeah, it's fatal. Yeah. If it's a mature mandrake. Yeah. And if it's not, then it just knocks you unconscious for yeah. a while or whatever, which would be also good. Um, and so there's this, I just, even if they didn't show that happening, it, this would have been a fun moment. It would have been silly, and pe- probably people who didn't read the book would be really like, what the heck? Because in the book, it's described Harry's running down the hallway to get somewhere, and he sees Sprout and Neville and, like, five other students with earmuffs on and <laughs> flower pots running down the hallway. And they explain at one point, they're going to chuck mandrakes over, the, over yeah. the walls at him. But even if they didn't have the lines or anything, and we don't even see them throwing mandrakes at the Death Eaters, just a scene of Harry running through a battle and like five <laughs> students in the background with colored earmuffs and flower pots running through would have been hilarious and such a great little Easter egg for yeah. book readers. I, I thought it would have been delightful. But. And it, I mean, similar to the way that the duels in the movie kind of lose their flavor, the battle loses yes. a lot of its flavor, too. Yeah, it does to some extent. I like there's one big sort of like long take, which I'll talk about later, uh, where a lot of stuff happens. that I thought mm-hmm. was really cool. But yeah, there's because there's another moment with the with the plants where Neville grabs. Uh, I think it's a venomous tentacula, but it or, or devil snare or something. He has something, some plant yeah. and he's holding it up. And I imagine it basically like he's like Doc 
Doc Ock from like Spider-Man because <laughs> he's like holding up pots of it and it's like reaching out grabbing Death yeah. Eaters and I'm like that would be fucking amazing <laughs> to see like Neville just running around with like giant plants on his arms like strangling Death Eaters would be incredible but yeah no not so much of that uh, also Hagrid and we'll talk about it a little bit later because this is uh, it happens again yeah Hagrid ha- is almost completely Hagrid's not absent. in this movie yeah. he's in the last five minutes of this movie yeah uh, and he's in this battle a lot, or a fair amount. Um, and Trevor has a question about this later. Uh, but in the book, Hagrid shows up, and I love the way he shows up for the battle in the in the book. Is that <laughs> he's outside, and he f- figure or he realizes this is all happening, and he needs to get in. And they've already locked the school down. Mm-hmm. I think is the implication. So the, he has Grop, who we don't even see in this movie, mm-hmm. which is again disappointing. We see other giants at least, but Grop. <laughs> Picks Hagrid up and basically throws him yeah, through a window <laughs> of the school. So there again, Harry's running down a hallway to get somewhere, and Hagrid comes smashing through a window in front of him, <laughs> and then gets up and is with Fang and is like, "All right, I'm here to help." <laughs> and I guess like that moment would have been amazing. Yeah. Why is Hagrid not in this movie? Ugh. So he does. He gets completely neutered. Well, I have I a, this a, whole series just gave Hagrid the shaft. Yeah, like, he's such an important character, and he's just he's barely in it after like the first two. It feels like like he's in it fair amount in the first two or whatever, yeah. and then, or three, I guess, because obviously Buckbeak's a pretty important character yeah. in the third one. But after that, he's like just, just gone from it. Which he is a little bit in the books too. To be fair, he is a much lesser. He has a lessened role in like. Mm-hmm. Five through six, seven, because uh, they don't take his class in five or six. Right. And then in seven, they're not at Hogwarts, but. Um, Neville's grand. Yes. Shows up to the so, battle. Again, as I mentioned, not only is she a badass taking the people down, uh, she shows up to fight. She comes through yeah. the thing. She comes through the passageway because she found out she heard from somebody. I don't remember who she says. She has, says she heard from somebody that they were fighting and so she shows up to f- come fight with Neville and I was like, that would have been awesome. Why? And we don't even, again, you don't even have to explain it. No. You just have to have a woman in the vulture yes. hat come through and like, be or even be seen with Neville. And now to be fair, in all the chaos, maybe there is like in one of yeah, those maybe. big battle sequences where there's all or those the, people there. They could like fight back to back. That'd right. Be so that awesome. would be amazing. How these moments are just <laughs> there for the taking and the movie doesn't do it. It's like, come on. Yeah. And again, but even even just a little moment of her in during a battle seeing this older woman with the vulture hat and you're mm-hmm. like, ah, it's grandma. That was grandma. <laughs> But again, and now to be fair, that could happen. There could be in some of those one of the giant. Yeah, she, she could be could somewhere be somewhere, in, somewhere the in the background that we just didn't see. But I, yeah, yeah. Also, I hope that her and McGonagall are friends. Yeah, because I feel like they should be friends. Oh, they're definitely friends, if not lovers. <laughs> I think that's why she showed up. She's like, "Yeah, yeah I got to come fight with Neville." Also, my boo is here. <laughs> got to make sure McGonagall's safe. <laughs> That's the slash fic you never knew you needed. <laughs> I'm sure that exists. I'm sure it does, too. That's uh, what well, I don't know. It's not rule 34 because I mean, it kind of is. But rule basically the equivalent of rule 34 for Harry Potter is that. Yes, that slash fic already exists. <laughs> that 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 weird random matchup you thought you just came up with. Nope. 100 percent. There's a 8000 word <laughs> fanfic. <laughs> Uh, erotic fanfic about Just that waiting for you to find it yep it's out there 
It exists. I got to Google this now. I'm going to have to Google later <laughs> if there is a Professor McGonagall <laughs> Grandma Longbottom fanfic. I bet there is. We talked about Hermione and Ron's kiss earlier uh, and it being after they destroy the Horcrux, mm-hmm. which is an okay moment. I get mm-hmm. it, you know, in this sort of victory of the moment and caught up. In the book, there's a really nice moment, and the reason that Hermione kisses them isn't because they destroyed a Horcrux together. They're, it's actually before the battle starts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're sitting there talking about going through what they're going to do, and Ron says, well, we need to go down to the kitchens, to, to the house elves, mm-hmm. and Hermione's like, well, they're, we don't, we're not going to have them fight for us, and Ron goes, no, we need to get tell them to, or have them get out of here or something like that. Yeah. Or, he says, like, we can't have them die for us. We need them to get out of here or something like that. And this overwhelms Hermione, his <laughs> how far Ron has come in his uh, at least somewhat now woke opinion of house elves. You know, he wants to make sure they don't die for a bunch of wizard nonsense. So mm-hmm. he's like, we had to get him out of here. And this 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 is the reason that Hermione kisses him. Yes. And, and Harry's standing there. And it's also awkward and fun because Harry's like, There's- <laughs> also a, a nice moment with the house elves later that yeah we'll talk about because yeah. it's not in the not movie. in the movie but yeah I, just, I liked that motivation for or not motivation i like that moment of kind of why yeah hermione kisses him i think the movie way works fine too it's it not does. like it's not like worse it's just it's different. It, again kind of along the themes of what we talked about with the mm-hmm. whole progression of of wizard opinions on house elves and that sort of yeah. thing this seems yeah. like a a move in the right direction that's not showing up this is a huge change and bad change. Yes, this is a terrible change. I bet this is a deleted scene. Truly, it must be. Truly. Well, because well, here's what we, we're talking about Fred's death. Because here's what we do see in the movie. I don't even know if it's Fred. Again, it's tough to tell because they're twins. Yeah. There's one shot of, and it's around the time a Horcrux is done. Something happens. I don't even remember exactly what it is, but it like everything goes in slow-mo mm-hmm. and like everybody's like looking at something and we cut to a slow-mo shot of one of the twins on the ground, but he's still alive and he's like, ah, and there's a Death Eater like standing over him, but the Death Eater turns to like, mm-hmm. again, I can't remember what happens in this moment. Something with Voldemort happens. Something ha- like maybe, a, maybe a, again, maybe like a Horcrux. I don't know what happens. Something causes people to like, lose their attention to what's going on uh, maybe it's Voldemort talking to everybody I don't know I don't but it looks like maybe one of these twins is about to die but he, they don't die in the scene yeah there's not we don't ever see Fred die on camera in this cut yeah he just they show up in the great hall after like the little interlude of the battle and he's just dead yeah um the scene in the book is heartbreaking and amazing and I'm astounded that they didn't put it in the movie. It's got to be a deleted scene. It has to it be. It has to be. The only reason I said uh, that I th- could see why they wouldn't is because Percy's a big part of it. Yeah. And since they didn't set up Percy and give his whole backstory. In the book, uh, they're fighting. There's a big battle going on. And Percy and Fred are dueling together and sort of quipping back and forth. And it's very reminiscent to some extent of... Uh, Sirius and Harry kind of or like when Sirius mm-hmm. died basically and it's she does this a lot in these where it's you know that mo- and it's it's just a common trope in fiction period of like that kind of moment of triumph and like yeah. haha we did we're the best oh fuck yeah. and you're dead the rug gets pulled out yeah. from under you yeah so uh, Percy and Fred who they've kind of had the most contentious um 
relationship over the course of because mm-hmm. there was a scene in one of the books where they showed up and the twins just shat on him constantly. He showed up for Christmas, basically. Yes. And they were, like, giving him a bunch of shit, even though, like, Molly was trying to, like, sort of... It was it was complicated. I don't remember exactly how the scene plays out. But essentially, the, the twins have been... They've always been, like, the least fan of Percy of all of them. Yeah. Because they're the rule breakers and Percy's the eternal rule stickler. So they... But... So they finally have this moment uh, where they, they sort of come together and and they're dueling and they, and they win and... Mm-hmm. And Percy makes a joke, and Fred's like, "You're joking, Percy, ha!" Huh? And then the wall explodes, and it's described as like the everything explodes. Mm-hmm. Like basically, something happens. I don't know if a giant threw a spell through, or threw a you know, a boulder through the. Wall. We don't know exactly what happened, but like some spell or something causes like the hall they're in to like explode. Um, and then they all kind of reget their bearings, and then they see that Fred is dead, like yeah. on the ground. Yeah. And it's this really just, like, intense moment of, like, holy shit. Because this is, like, the first big death. Because the Lupin and Tonks one, we find out the same way the movie. We don't see yeah. them die in the book. Yeah. We just find out they had died afterwards. But Fred, seeing Fred die, and then, too, because, like, Percy and Ron, like, lose their shit, obviously. Because they're mm-hmm. both there. Um, and it's really intense. And it's just... I think seeing that at least one of those deaths would have really added... No, yeah, you're right. We the, needed to see some something. Yeah, some one of these because those are like the three big main characters that die. Yeah, Tonks, Lupin, and Fred. Yeah, and Lavender Brown to some extent, which apparently she died. I didn't realize that in the book, but well, apparently uh, it's very contentious because I tried to look. Oh, it up. okay, and there's people arguing there, about it. Yeah, there's, oh, okay, because in the book theories. I would argue that she didn't die, but in the movie she does die. So whatever. Um, but anyways, so uh, I think it's a big, it's a huge moment. It's like the, it's the, it's the reality of this battle of this war. It's because you know you realize, okay, our main characters aren't invincible. Yeah. Some of them are going to die because yes. Fred is in the, of all of the people other than like obviously Sirius and you know this big battle at the end here. You're kind of like, all right, nobody's really, you know, yeah, we're, we'll probably be okay. And then they kill Fred, and you're like, well, fuck. <laughs> Everybody could die now. Yeah. Like yeah. anybody could die now. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I'm just amazed that they didn't have it in the movie. Um, she reuses a line, though. Sorry. What? JK kind of reuses her death line, though, a little bit. Not really. She has. It's really great. It's, it's beautiful and, and horrible. Um, but this is the last line of the chapter where, per, uh, where Fred dies. Um, his eyes stared without seeing the ghost of his last laugh still etched upon his face. That line's great, but the his eyes stared without seeing is not too dissimilar from what the line about that I talked about last time with, with Dobby. Dobby. Yeah, it's it's close. His it's eyes close. his eyes stared at the stars he could no longer see or something like that. And I'm like, that's a little similar there, JK. You realized how good of a line you wrote, and you're like I'll do that, but then add a different thing. <laughs> um, which the, the the ghost of his last laugh still etched upon his face. That's yeah, that's brutal and and great. It's a great line. And again, you're not going to get that line in the movie, but that scene needed to be in the movie. No, I agree. Um, another thing that needed to be in the movie. Yeah, we both had this. We were talking earlier about um, the way the battle kind of loses its flavor. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment in the book where Harry sees. 
McGonagall leading a herd of galloping desks. Yes. And why the fuck that is not in the movie. Why is that not in the movie? I I don't know. She bewitches slash transfigures a bunch of desks. She makes a desk stampede. Yes. And like, what the heck? Again, these are those little (laughs) moments. And we don't ever see any of these things in the battle. We just see Harry seeing these things heading to the battle. And it would just be (laughs) fantastic just to see some of that. Oh, it would have been great. Uh, and now this one, Peeves has not been in any of the movies. Yeah, We've talked about this, but he fights for Hogwarts. You know, Peeves, mm-hmm. the eternal asshole, still ultimately ends up fighting Hogwarts for Hogwarts. Is his home? It's true. This is his home, and he ends up uh, fighting against the Death Eaters, which would have been fun. Yeah. Um, also, also, <laughs> also a great moment. It's kind of a brief moment yeah. in the book, but. Harry and Ron are under the cloak and they're rushing past Malfoy and Ron takes the opportunity <laughs> to punch to him, punch him face. <laughs> from Invisibly. under the cloak and I Malfoy's know. like, what the fuck? What just happened? <laughs> I know, it's just a great little fucking like, it's just one of those things and it's like, that's great. Like Just going by, just punch Malfoy in the face and keep moving. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, I, I don't, think that should have been in the movie it wouldn't really work especially because they don't wear the cloak nearly as much that sort of thing but it is a fun little thing in the in the book as long as well as which we do see trelawney in some of the she's not in the fight but we see her afterwards Mm -hmm. kind of in the aftermath of the fight but i thought this would have been cool to see again like we said the flavor of the battle like the interesting weird ways that people fight in this battle because they're wizards the ways that they use their areas of expertise now this one a little less so (laughs) but still uh trelawney starts killing death eaters with crystal balls in the battle in the book she starts hurling crystal balls off a balcony and like bewitching them to fly at death eaters heads and these crystal balls are like basically bowling balls that she's like throwing (laughs) at death eaters and again it's like come on cracking skulls yeah literally cracking skulls with crystal balls and (laughs) and uh it would have been awesome but yeah none of that either okay so uh we get to the scene with snape Mm mm-hmm um, now you had this in a different section, or you? Had, I do. You have some stuff. I don't disagree it. with necessarily with the, the thing about the snake cage here, but I think I just I think the way that Snape dies in the book is so much like darker and weirder and like horrific. It's a little weirder. I don't think it's darker or more horrific. It's just because of how it's shot in the movie. I think that's one mm-hmm. of the best shot scenes in. I'll agree film. with that. I think the way that it's shot makes it dark and horrific. Yeah, which is more why. More so than like what actually happens right. versus what actually happens in the book. Yeah, and I, I just think that what happens in the book isn't that much like... It is like... Basically what happens in the book is this whole time, which they don't even do in the movie, mm-hmm. Voldemort has had Nagini in a like bubble, like a yeah. magic protective bubble. Yeah. Um. So that way... Because she's essentially the last Horcrux at this point, or yeah. one of the last Horcruxes. Um. And in the book, he basically expands the bubble around Snape. Yeah. So that Nagini can eat him. Or so that him. he's like trapped in there. Yeah. With her. I don't know. I guess I pictured it as like really like awful and like like really like the cage being like really tight, like close quarters. That See, that's how not how I, I pictured it, it at all. To me, it's just basically like he just. I don't know. To me, it didn't really affect anything. The The thing that's interesting about it in the book is that Voldemort does something with his wand and Harry, as they're watching, are like, 
oh, maybe he decided not to kill him because they like he like makes he casts a spell, but it doesn't affect Snape at all. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, is he not going to kill him? And then they realize that what he did was he expanded the shield, the bubble around Snape, and then Nagini kills him, which is kind of like a. You have this moment of like, oh, maybe he's not. Oh no, he is going to kill him. But like, I, to me, it, I don't know. It was just like he just makes the bubble big so that she can eat him. Like, it's not any cooler than what happens in the movie to me. Or not any more darker. I don't know. I I guess I just pictured it differently than you did. Nah, I I literally didn't. I don't know. I was like, it's fine. But, anyways. (laughs) Um, So then we get the whole scene with Snape's memories. Yeah. Following closely behind that. Yeah. um, Which we miss a, a, a lot of. Yeah, which I'm okay with. It goes on a little long in the book. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all important, but it's also, like, a lot of memories. <laughs> <laughs> like, a lot. Um, one thing that we don't see is um, a memory of Dumbledore from Harry's first year, where he asks Snape to keep an eye on Quirrell. Yeah. Uh, so, in the earlier books, or in the earlier movies... The prophecy, as uh, made clear by Trevor asking what the heck the prophecy was, like having us explain it, uh, they do such a poor job of explaining the prophecy in book five Mm -hmm. and and even in book six. Um, And the fact that Snape heard it and told it, they explain none of that in the movie. That The fact that Snape heard it and that Trelawney was the one one who made it and that all this stuff happened. They never explain any of that. Um, So this whole sequence feels like it would be very hard to follow for a non-book reader in terms of like what is going on with Snape here like some of it's obvious like you know the whole he cares for Lily like the Mm -hmm. over the broad strokes of it you could follow but like the thing with the prophecy and like all that I was like I was like how would anybody not who hadn't read the book understand what that was or what that means you know I don't know it seemed very strange which a lot of the elements in this movie are like that where it's and I said it in the last one if you've read the books, this all works. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, mm-hmm. but I'll say this: the the things that don't work for non book readers don't really matter as much. You could watch this movie or both of these movies as a non book reader and still get the overarching main thing, and yeah. it would still feel fine. But again, there would be a lot of stuff that you wouldn't, like, understand. <laughs> yeah, th- I think there's a, a lot of moments where, like, if you start thinking about it, not having read the books, yeah. you might be like, wait a minute, what is this? Yeah. But yeah. you would be able to follow the plot of the story right. overall. Yeah. Yeah, there wouldn't be big. There's, like, four and five have some gaping holes that seem like it would make it really yeah. hard to follow this one. Not as much. Just little things that wouldn't add up. Um, we also miss a lot of Snape's interactions with yeah. Lily once they get to school um, and kind of what caused their falling out. Yeah. Where he calls her mudblood. Which we did see. Well, we didn't even see it in the movie, did we? No. Mm-hmm. Because it, we saw this that that in an earlier book, that same memory. We yes. see it again, basically, in this yeah. one, where Snape calls her mudblood. Um, and then he camps out outside of her common room to try to get her to forgive him, but she's not having it because at this point he's basically a death eater. Yeah. Like that's the crowd that he runs. He hangs out with death eaters. And then like she mentions them by name and they're all people that ultimately became death eaters. Mm -hmm. And he's yeah, all this stuff. And so it's a lot, they leave out all of the elements and we'll talk about this a little bit more later that make it very clear that Snape's not 
the sort of tragic hero yeah. that the movie slash J.K. Rowling wants him to be. I mean, he ha- there's elements of that, but yeah. it's also it's more complicated than I think J.K. Rowling and the movies wanted that to feel. Because mm-hmm. if you just watch the movies, I can kind of see why you would kind of. If you don't think about it too hard, I can kind of see why you'd be like more on Snape's side, like be mm-hmm. more uh, understanding of, of Snape's whole deal. Whereas we get a lot more, again, of him, so his sort of racism and bigotry and weird stalkeriness in the yeah. book than we do in the movie. And uh, the fact that he's perfectly happy to oh. let James and Harry die if yeah. it means he gets to be with Lily. Yeah, that's that scene's in the movie, but it's changed slightly. Yeah. In the book, he goes, well, maybe they even say it, but they don't linger on it in the same way. They, or at least Dumbledore doesn't have his line. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore has a line because Snape goes, you have to save her. I don't remember the exact play. Or here, let's see if I can find it real quick. Because it's kind of important. He thinks it means her son. He's going to hunt her down, kill them all. If she means so much to you, said Dumbledore, surely Lord Voldemort will spare her. Could you not ask for mercy for the mother in exchange for the son? I have. I asked him. You disgust me, said Dumbledore, and Harry had never heard so much contempt in his voice. Snape seemed to shrink a little. You do not care, then, about the deaths of her husband and child. They can die as long as you have what you want. Snape said nothing, but merely looked at Dumbledore. And then he says, hide them all, then. Keep her, keep them safe, please. And that's Snape in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we're not on board with Snape as a tragic hero. Yeah. Yeah. That and other reasons. Lots that of other we'll, reasons. Uh, talk about in our in our your fave is problematic yeah. episode. <laughs> this is a little thing, and we kind of see it, but it explains uh, the the this, this set of memories explains that the reason Dumbledore's hand was all messed up was because he tried to put the ring on mm-hmm. and bring Ariana and his family back to life because he knew it was the Resurrection Stone. Yes. Uh, he also knew it was probably cursed, but he still, in a moment of weakness, decided, now nah, I'm going to try to do this anyways, and that's what ends up being yeah. the death of him, essentially. Yeah. Um, which, again, there's the kind of... We see Snape treating his injury and then the, the planning of the murder of Dumbledore and that sort of thing, but they don't ever talk about the fact right. that... But I mean, then that's the important plot point. Yeah, that's that, the important plot is point. Is that yeah. the murder was pre-planned. Pre-planned, yeah. That's the important plot point in that scene, but there's, yeah. Again, because they cut out all the... Yeah. The backstory about Ariana and all that stuff, so... Is it redundant to say pre-planned? Is that redundant? Pre-planned? Yeah, probably. It was planned. Yeah, you're it right. Planned. It's probably redundant. So then we get to the Harry turning himself in. Yes. This is the big final act, kind of. Um, he turns himself in and I thought this was a nice little moment, uh, as he goes to die. Also, I think this was better in the book and I don't know why they didn't do it. Is that I, I forgot to write it down, but I did realize this. Uh, they make a point in the book that Harry keeps his wand in his pocket, mm-hmm. doesn't pull it out. He mm-hmm. goes defenseless. Now he doesn't defend himself in the movie at least, but he does. He is holding his wand. Yeah. I noticed in the movie when he walks out and gets hit with the Vada Kedavra. Um, but he doesn't try to defend himself. So yeah, it's fine still, I guess. Because that's important, we find out later. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, right as he dies, uh, right as he's the spell is coming at him, he uh, his like his, you know sort of like not his life flashes before he has his eyes, but he has this moment and he thinks of Jenny uh, for like a brief second and then is dead. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a again in that moment of where normally fear and 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 whatever could take over the thing in Harry's head isn't fearing the moment or fearing death or fear whatever it's thinking about 
someone he yeah, loves. Yeah, it's love. Yeah. It's not fear in that final moment. Yeah, and love. I think they could have easily added that in the movie of as that moment happens, a quick flip, even, even almost subliminally, like... Mm-hmm. You know, like really quick, like like flashing, you know, almost like a like a flashbulb freeze frame type thing of like, you know, Jenny's hair, something subtle. So that wasn't like, oh, you know, a moment of like, oh, her face smiling, but almost like you wouldn't even notice what it was unless you were looking for it of like. But that's like, you know what I mean? Just sort of like a brief flash of like her hair, like uh, something so that it, you know, kind of get that across. Oh, and Harry's naked when he gets to King's Cross. Yeah. After he dies. Well, maybe they just didn't want to. Maybe they want to do that. Well, naked Harry. They get. They give a shirtless Harry and Ron earlier in this movie. True. Uh, maybe and uh, he didn't want to be completely naked. Uh, he was like, I, I think it was during the series he was in that play where he was oh, naked. Equus. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't think he has a problem necessarily with being naked. He was naked in a stage play. But yeah, sure, maybe not. But I mean, it doesn't really matter. He just gets clothes and puts them on right away. Yeah. But I'm just trying to look out for all of our listener or readers, listeners who want to see Daniel Radcliffe. You want to see some booty? You got you missed out, and it's the J.K. put it in there for you. She tried. She tried to have your. She back. tried. The movie <laughs> movie makers weren't having it. Uh, we're gonna save this one for a Muggle question later because yes. Trevor wants to know the answer to how Harry is alive, and uh, that's a thing the movie does not explain. <laughs> so we'll talk about it in Muggle questions. This is a great line that's not in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite lines. I think again thematically, it's one of the most important lines, and we've talked about it kind of constantly throughout this series, where you know the. the not focusing on some of the important themes. And I mean, this could not be a more specific statement of what, yeah. what, what it is that sets Harry and Voldemort apart. Yeah. And this is in the afterlife. Dumbledore explains this to Harry and his knowledge remained woefully incomplete. Harry, that which Voldemort does not value. He takes no trouble to comprehend of house elves and children's tales of love loyalty and innocence Voldemort knows and understands nothing nothing yeah again as we've talked about the whole time love uh quote unquote lesser beings house elves you know Mm -hmm. I think people creatures is that Voldemort sees as lesser beings um and then yeah children's tale loyalty all of these things that he just does not put any value on yes is the reason he loses yeah that's it and it's really weird to me they left that line out because they kept a lot of really good lines from that scene. That seems like a really important one. And it's like you could not write a briefer, like more simple yeah. summation of like, these are the themes. Here they are. It seems like it seems packaged for a movie like it really you wanna, does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you want to know all the all the problems with Voldemort and why you're way better than him, Harry. Hey, listeners at home, you want to know the point of this whole thing? Here's two sentences and they don't put it in the movie. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Interesting. But. Well, movies don't value the themes. Yeah. And it's their undoing. <laughs> also, I like that he explains that the Peverell brothers likely Peverell brothers likely made the hollows themselves. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, they probably didn't come from death. That's probably, probably not. not. They yeah. probably just made them and then stories like and I was like, yeah, I like that. 
Um, and we also, again, more on Dumbledore's sort of background. He explains, the, you know, that he kind of has a moment of self-reflection is talking about how, you know, power was always my weakness. It was always mm-hmm. my temptation um, because he was so powerful and he yeah. could, he was able to attain immense amounts of power. Uh, he always had to sort of restrain himself from that. And we don't really go into the again, we don't set that up to have that line pay off and have that yeah. sort of self-reflection moment for Dumbledore to show that he truly has learned and grown as a person and sort of that he can reflect on himself and knows that like that was his weakness. And that was one of the problems he always dealt with, but yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. If you're going to cut that storyline out, you can't have that line at the end of the movie. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so then Harry gets back from, the the afterlife yes essentially um he he goes back to his body in the woods um and in the movie narcissa malfoy draco's mom yeah just like walks over to him um in the book voldemort sends her over to see if harry is still alive or if he's dead um and i I find the way that it happened in the book to be more meaningful Mm -hmm. thematically yeah um because it kind of emphasizes what we were just talking about, this idea that he doesn't value or understand love, a mother's love. Yeah. And yet again, that is his undoing. Yeah, because in this moment, he doesn't, she's, she's, he knows whether or not he's thinking about it, or and even if he's not, again, that's sort of more evidence to the fact he doesn't care, is that in this moment, we know that she's worried about whether or not Draco's alive. Yeah. Like, she's like, holy shit, because like, she doesn't know what's happened at the school. She knows Draco was up there, but he could be dead. He could be whatever. So she's, like, freaking out right now. She's, like, mm-hmm. not feeling great. And Do- and Voldemort just goes, yeah, you, I'm fucking go see if that kid's yeah. dead. And basically, you know, if you think about it for a second, maybe I shouldn't send the potentially grieving mother to go check if yeah. a kid's dead. If he had sent somebody <laughs> else, yeah. he would have won. He would have won. Right there. Would have fucking won. He would have Avada Kedavra'd again before Harry even got up to do anything. Yeah. Wins the game, probably, or whatever. Or he could just drop a tree on him. That's the thing. you got to stop with the Avada Kedavra, man. <laughs> that is your undoing here. But it makes it's sense. True. I mean, because like he thinks you know, that's the ultimate sort of, it's the yeah. unblockable, all-powerful, it is the true wizard's thing. Whereas he could just, like, Livia, Wingardium Leviosa a tree on top of Harry, and this all would have been over. Voldemort doesn't value the muggle way of doing things. Yeah, dropping trees on people, the yeah. true muggle way of killing people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree, yeah. I was just like, well, like, this whole time, I'm like, man, Voldemort, just try a different spell. There are other ways to kill people. We know there are. False. We know there are. Uh, Molly Weasley does it. She doesn't use Avada Kedavra. <laughs> At least she doesn't say it. Maybe she did. I don't know. It didn't yeah, really explain, explain it. Then we get back to the castle. Yes. And then this... Okay. Okay. So up until Harry leaves the forest, being carried by Hagrid, mm-hmm. up until that moment, part one and all of part two up until that moment are probably the best movie and a half of adaptation in the whole series. They're pretty faithfully ad- 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 uh, adapted. Adapted. <laughs> Adaptation. Dude. Adaptated. Yeah. Um, the, we've talked about the changes. I mean, we've even talked 30 minutes about up until that point, little things that we would add or take whatever. Mm-hmm. But overall, those parts that that movie and a half is about as good as I could have hoped for yeah. an adaptation. Same with like movie one and movie two, relatively yeah. speaking. 
And then it all goes and wrong. And then it fucking just goes off the rails. It all goes wrong. And it's so disappointing because it's so wild to me how they did such a good job for a movie and a half of like sticking mostly mm-hmm. to like what the good stuff in the book was, you know, and then kind of capturing a lot of the moments. And then they just change everything at the end. I feel like they like all of a sudden decided they wanted this big flashy Hollywood ending. And it's like they, it already is. A- I. <laughs> But you don't need to change it. Yeah, the book ending already is a big Hollywood flashy ending. I don't understand. That's the thing that's wild to me. It's like I could understand. Now, there's one change that I kind of get, and I don't know the best way about changing it. With The fact that Harry spends a lot of time under invisibility cloak in the end of this. Right. Which would be tough. It would be. And it doesn't make a lot of it, Not that it doesn't make sense, but he spends a lot of time watching things happen where you think he would start doing something. Yeah. And so I kind of get, but I, I don't know, there must have been a better way to change it than what they did. Anyway, we'll get into it. So the first big thing to me that drove me crazy is, and it's such a cool moment, and I, I, I just dislike it so much that they changed it. One, they get back up with Harry's body. Everybody comes out, and it's similar in the movie. They all have com- confrontation between the two groups. And he's like, Harry Potter's dead, blah, blah, blah. And Neville comes up and confronts him. And it's like, no, you know, screw you, whatever. Uh, his speech in the movie is very hit or miss. Mm. It has some really good moments and then some really cheesy, like, not great moments. But um, in the movie, this why would you not include this? So Dumbledore, it's, uh, Neville finds the hat mm-hmm. in the book or in the movie. He just finds it laying on the ground, the sorting hat. In the movie, Voldemort summons it out of the castle Grabs it and goes, you don't need, we won't need this anymore at Voldemort. I'm in charge now, or at Voldemort. That's what he's going to call the school now. At Voldemort, at Voldemort, Mort's. <laughs> at Voldemort, you're not going to need, you're not going to need. It's also, he got a bad case of Voldemort's when he was in Romania. <laughs> that might be racist. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're, we're not going to need the sorting hat at Voldemort's anymore because it's only going to be Slytherin. It's the only house. Yeah. We're not splitting into other houses. And he puts the hat on Neville's head and lights it on fire. Yeah. Like torturing Neville in front of everybody and like burning Neville's head. And then uh, it just kind of stops and Neville pulls the hat off. And oh well, because what happens is in this moment, right as that's happening, all of a sudden, all these arrows come raining out of the yes. woods. The centaurs. The centaurs here. show up because they were they they were in the woods watching the whole thing happen mm-hmm. with Harry. And as they were, the Death Eaters are carrying Harry out of the woods. Uh, the centaurs were watching, and the Death Eaters were like mocking him and shitting on him. And Hagrid's like, "This good job, guys. Not helping. Thanks. Crushed it." And then so the centaur is like, all right, fuck this. And then they, they start to help and they start shooting arrows at him. And at the same moment, all of these people come charging up from Hogsmeade. Yeah. Led by Horace Slughorn, because this is when he returns. But it's all the family members of all the students and all the like all these people who have been rallied from finding out that this battle is going on all start showing up. Mm-hmm. So just imagine, you know, the Ga- Gandalf coming over yeah, the hill. It's like that scene. Yeah, it's that moment. You know, <laughs> Gandalf comes over the hill and it's like all these centaurs come out of the woods and start shooting arrows at him. All these 
all these other wizards start coming from Hogsmeade, you know, uh, and including, again, led by uh, by Slughorn, who I think it's more impressive if he has this moment where he decides, no, I am going to come fight instead yes. of just sort of always kind of being yeah. there in the background like he is in the movie. Him, like, leading the charge with the, you know... And now I, I say leading the charge. I can't imagine watching Slughorn run. I mean, he'd probably be on a broom or something, but I can't imagine Slughorn running anywhere. But so they all show up and all this nonsense happens at once. And then that moment, uh, Neville pulls the hat off and then the sword comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Because, again, this is a callback to the second uh, book where yep. Harry pulls but the sword presents itself to you when you're in a if moment you're worthy of need, yes. if you're in a moment of need and you're and you're worthy uh, you can pull the sword out of the hat basically and he pulls the sword out and this cuts Nagini's head off yeah and that's Slice. it boom and like that's such a fucking cool moment like it's such yeah, a cool moment that is already a movie moment yeah movie it's so much better than harry or hermione and ron chasing a snake around for 10 minutes trying to stab it with a basilisk like it's it's that, which is a bad idea yeah it's, it's bad stupid idea. but it's such a freaking amazing moment and i just don't understand why they decided they needed to like stretch that out and make that be because because another fight breaks out you can still have this cool battle, like at yeah. the end, like there's all this stuff's happening. Like there's there's a action beat. It's not like nothing, ha- you know. Yeah. It, it's like he cuts the snake's head off, and then a bunch of other stuff still happens. Um, but yeah, he cuts he cuts the snake's head off, and I just want to because he's I think he even has a badass line. Does he not? Yeah, he doesn't. He just. That's okay because he still gets a really badass he, moment. He still gets a badass moment. He does have, he does have um, a good. He has like a little speech before that. Mm-hmm. Like he he comes out and he confronts them and he and he starts like a Dumbledore's army sh- chant basically like yeah. in front of everybody like he has his he has his little like speech moment and they could even stretch that out more if they wanted like they do in the movie I'd be fine with that just at the end of that he needs to immediately cut that snake's head off right in front of Voldemort like yes. God it's such a cool moment it's such a cool moment <laughs> so disappointed that they like oh we gotta have we gotta guess specifically give Ron and Hermione something to do and then I was gonna get super mad I was like if swear to god if neville doesn't end up killing the snake i will walk out of this theater <laughs> before the movie ends um and then they a, don't have the a thing that would have been so easy to include just put it in the background no even just cut to it for one brief yeah. moment one brief moment a yeah creature leading the army of house elves he literally leads a re- freaking army of house elves in the battle like and they're what? like it says that it doesn't it say they're like hacking at shins yes. with kitchen knives yeah. and shit the house elves of hogwarts swarmed into the entrance hall screaming and waving carving knives and cleavers and at their head the locket of regulus black bouncing on his chest was creature his bullfrog's voice audible even above the din fight 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 for my master defender of house elves meaning harry fight for fight the dark lord in the name of brave regulus fight because he's had two masters now that that and one Regulus who he, he was like, you know, super dedicated to yeah. who ultimately decided to turn against Voldemort. And then now Harry, who he likes because Harry is, you know, proven mm-hmm. to be a, a compassionate and a person to him. Um, so he's fighting for both of them. Yeah, he leads the fucking. And again, the themes, man, the theme. <laughs> they start. Yeah, they start like slashing up. Death Eaters with meat cleavers and stuff. Like, what? How is that not in your movie? You get you get to put gremlins in your movie. Like, you get like what? I don't understand why you wouldn't have a moment where a bunch of house elves show up and start hacking at I Death don't know, Eaters, man. I 
lose Harry's entire duel with Voldemort. Yes, because it makes no sense. No, because it we'll, makes no we'll sense, and we'll talk about it here momentarily. But yeah, yeah, get get that out of here because there's a lot of CG budget there too yeah. of Harry with the yeah. robes and all that shit. Like, get rid of all that and just dump that into creature and the centaurs showing up and attacking again because that's important thematic. The the other non wizards of the world rising up to overthrow the fucking bigot. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> Wizard Hitler. Well, Grindelwald, Grindelwald is actually Wizard Hitler. Voldemort's more like Wizard Mussolini. Whatever, I don't care. Like, whatever you're... Yeah, the evil <laughs> fascist wizard. <laughs> like, it's such a... Uh. Mm. Mm. Oh, and again, we mentioned it. But even in this moment now, Hagrid's here, right? Yeah. Even if, okay, you didn't have him for whatever reason the whole rest of the battle. Hagrid is here now, which is the main thing time we see him do something in the book is after the fight breaks back out again. And it's such a great moment. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? And we've I've said it every book. And finally, I now know that these movies fuck fucking blew it by yeah. not having ever giving Hagrid they his moment. They just hate Hagrid. They just hate Hagrid. In the book... In after the fight breaks back out in the Great Hall, there's like a big battle in the Great Hall. All this stuff's going down. Hagrid, again, probably spells bouncing. You have the motherfucking Incredible Hulk in your movie. Just make him do one <laughs> thing. Just one thing. I, and we even went over or skipped over the fact that earlier there's a giant battle that they didn't put yeah. in this movie because yeah. Grop is there and he hand to hand fights another giant. Again, that's not in the movie. At least there are some giants there, but Grop versus Giant would have been... Again, you need 10 seconds, not even 10, five seconds yeah. of that just to make that moment happen and be cool, but not in the movie. No, 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 no. We had to spend all of our budget on CG robes for <laughs> Voldemort, which we'll talk about. But he Hagrid shows up in the Great Hall fighting everybody, and, and in great moment of karma, he comes across... What Death Eater does he come across? McNair. The, ex the, the executioner yes. from book three, who we talked about, was a Death Eater and mm -hmm. be become a Death Eater again. It's just a brief moment, but he picks up McNair, throws him across <laughs> the Great Hall into the wall. With his dustbin-sized hand. <laughs> yes, with his dustbin-lid-sized hand, which that was the thing I forgot I was going to talk about. <laughs> every single book, look it up. I haven't done the, the, the research, but I'm 99% sure that in every single book, there's at least one moment where J.K. Rowling describes Hagrid's hand... As dustbin lid, dustbin lid sized. Yeah, every she single does book. It a lot. Every single book, I think. That's like her go-to description for Hagrid. Yeah, it's all the time, and I didn't notice it until this one. And I was like, wait, she said that like every book, I think. <laughs> so somebody go back and look it up and see if it's every single book. But yeah, throws McNair across the room, and I'm going to assume kills him. Which yeah. God, come what? Just <laughs> show Hagrid throw a guy across. Okay, and then. And then the scene that should have been the easiest thing to oh, do, and they still managed to fuck it up. Yeah. The easiest scene in the whole movie. And it, this is the biggest part, too, with it, is that it's so disjointed, it feels like we're missing a lot of stuff. It just yeah. kind of comes out of nowhere, and then it's over. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like, it's almost like they forgot to film it, and we're like, oh, we really need to have that scene in there. Yeah, because people are going to riot and if so, that scene's not in yeah, there. Yeah, it just kind of like all this other stuff's going on. We cut to this one brief moment. So here's the thing I love in the book. In the book, they get into the Great Hall. All the fighting's been going on. It's basically down to two duels. Mm -hmm. It comes down, ends up boiling down. Everybody else has been defeated. All the other Death Eaters have been defeated or killed or run away or whatever. It's literally just 
Kingsley Shacklebolt, uh, Slughorn, and McGonagall, I think, are the three, dueling Voldemort. Yeah. And then... Um, it's Luna and Jenny. Luna and Jenny and dueling somebody and somebody else. else. Maybe Arthur. I don't know. Somebody else dueling Bellatrix. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment everybody knows and talks about. But so a spell comes flying past Jenny and almost hits her, but barely misses her from Bellatrix. And Molly comes out of nowhere. We assume she just finished dispatching somebody. Molly Weasley, number one mama bear of my heart. Yes. Hashtag mother goals. Yes. Just comes out of nowhere and uh, drops the line. I mean, yeah, the line, the line. Not my daughter, you bitch. And then proceeds to duel uh, Bellatrix. Yeah, here we go. I'm just going to read again. I have to just read it because I need to express to anybody who's just a movie watcher. Yeah. Because the movie does her dirty. Yeah. Yes, yes it does. Voldemort was now dueling McGonagall, Slughorn, and Kingsley all at once, and there was cold hatred in his face as they wove and ducked around him, unable to finish him. Bellatrix was still fighting too. Fifty yards away from Voldemort, and like her master, she dueled three at once, Hermione, Ginny, and Luna, all battling their hardest, but Bellatrix was equal to them, and Harry's attention was diverted as a killing curse shot so close to Ginny that she missed death by an inch. He changed course, running at because Be- Harry's like running in, and he's gonna go fight Voldemort. Yeah, and then he changes, he changed course, running at Bellatrix rather than Voldemort. Oh, and he's under the invisibility. He's cloak. under the invisibility cloak in this FYI. moment. But before he had gone a few steps, he was knocked sideways. Not my daughter, you bitch! All caps. <laughs> Mrs. Weasley threw off her cloak as she ran, freeing her arms. Bellatrix spun on the spot, roaring with laughter at the sight of her new challenger. Out of my way! Shouted Mrs. Weasley to the three girls. And with a swipe of her wand, she began to duel. Harry watched with terror and elation as Molly Weasley's wand slashed and twirled and Bellatrix Lestrange's smile faltered and became a snarl. Jets of light flew from both hands. The floor around the witch's feet became hot and cracked. Both women were fighting to kill. No, Mrs. Weasley cried as a few students ran forward trying to come to her aid. Get back. Get back. She's mine. Hundreds of people now lined the walls watching the two fights. Voldemort and his three opponents, Bellatrix and Molly and Harry, stood invisible, torn between both, wanting to attack and yet to protect, unable to be sure whether he would not, whether or not he would hit innocent people. What will happen to your children when I've killed you, taunted Bellatrix as mad as her master, capering as Molly's, curse had danced, uh, Molly's curses danced around her, when Mummy's gone the same way as Freddy. You will never touch our children again, screamed Mrs. Weasley. Bellatrix laughed the same exhilarated laugh her cousin Sirius had given as he toppled backward through the veil, and suddenly Harry knew what was going to happen before it did. Molly's curse soared beneath Bellatrix's outstretched arm and hit her squarely in the chest, directly over her heart. Bellatrix's gloating smile froze, her eyes seemed to bulge. For the tiniest space of time, she knew what had happened, and then she toppled, and the watching crowd roared, and Voldemort screamed. Molly Weasley... (laughs) Is not scared. No. She's not knocked back on her heels. She doesn't lose her balance. No. Molly Weasley is out for blood. Oh my God. It's such, it's so easy. You read that. I just read it. You, that is so vivid. When you're watching, when you read the page and a half, you can see that. It's so easy. But in the movie, she shows up, they give her the line. It's like the only thing she says in the scene. They cut like the rest of her lines mostly. Um, but there's a moment as they're dueling where Bellatrix starts attacking her and Molly starts like, oh, 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 God. Uh, and it's like, no, <laughs> that's not that's 
not in that moment. That's not what. No, it's if anything, it's only ever the other way. Bellatrix is like, "Ho oh, shit!" <laughs> like, yeah. wow, this is fucking nuts. Um, but yeah, it's it's just. And I love the moment at the end, too, where I, I get a little bit why they changed the whole the crowd watching, because it feels like the mm-hmm. thing of, like, why is everybody just standing there and nobody else doing it? You know, you could kind of get into weird arguments about, like, why is everybody standing around yeah, watching? Sure. But at the same time, like Harry says, like, they're kind of worried about, like, it's, it's an imperfect thing. And they're all in this kind of small, relatively small space at the Great Hall. And if you miss a spell, you're going to hit other mm-hmm. people. And, like, so anyways, but... Um, that moment where everybody's standing around and just imagine that moment of her killing Bellatrix and Voldemort screaming and the whole crowd like, fuck yeah, like just would have been awesome. <laughs> like the whole crowd would have lost their, in the theater, the whole crowd would have collectively lost their shit. And now I'm sure people still, I know people still did. I was in theaters. When that moment happened, people still were like, woohoo. But it could have been so much better. Yes. It could have been so much better. And all they had to do was stick a little closer to what happened in the book instead of just kind of sp- throwing that scene in out of nowhere. And again, cheating the, the, how freaking fierce Molly Weasley is. Uh, yeah. Um, and I also like, too, because then Voldemort tries to kill Molly or tries to curse her. And Harry, this is when Harry's revealed. Yeah. And I like this reveal. It's very dramatic in the book. It's a little, I can see why they changed it. Because, again, like Harry just kind of standing there watching feels weird. It maybe. Does, yeah. But so Harry's under the cloak. And then after she kills Bellatrix, Voldemort tries to curse her. And Harry casts a protection spell. And it, like, knocks his cloak off. And all of a sudden, Harry's revealed in the middle of the hall. Everybody around. You know, hundreds of, you know, however, a couple hundred people that are still there fighting or whatever. Yeah. Mostly students and, and uh, villagers and that sort of thing. Um, and so, so I, I, that reveal would have been awesome in the movie. In the in the movie, he just f- gets up and runs away, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's alive still." All right, <laughs> like, he just gets up and runs away. And they're like, "Oh, was that him? What was that?" And again, everybody watching their duel, and we're gonna talk about their duel. Okay, we'll talk. Yeah, yeah we're gonna talk we're about here in a second. Talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about their duel because everything else is after that. So, the Voldemort Harry duel in the movie is stupid. In it's almost every conceivable worst. way, it's terrible. It's the worst. One, the fact that it's a duel is stupid because yeah. they can't. Like, you're already failing. Yes. So they, they have them sort of, they, they do multiple stages of this duel in the movie. Where one, they sort of are on the steps and like dueling with each other. Yeah. And like Harry's blocking spells. And I swear it looks like he's blocking Avada Kedavra's. They're like know. green spells, I, which again, spoiler in case you don't know, you can't block yeah. Avada Kedavra. Harry has only survived it or slash blocked it because of weird wand yes. magic. He can't like block it like he does in the movie. Again, he doesn't say Avada Kedavra, but it looks like a green spell. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um... But it also doesn't make sense for them to duel because Harry's wand or Voldemort's wand doesn't work against Harry's. And yeah. the reason that there is only after Harry comes back to life, Voldemort only casts one spell against Harry and it's the one that kills him. And that's because his wand does not work against Harry. Yeah. Because Harry is the true owner of the Elder Wand. Yes. So them dueling it makes, makes no, no sense. sense. <laughs> and it's all just, oh, it's all so stupid. Yeah, the whole robes thing is Ugh. terrible where, where all of his robe, CG the robes go everywhere and grab. Tentacle robes and then the pulling them off the cliff for no reason. And yeah. meld together as a smoke monster. Yeah, and they fly around as a smoke monster again. They think it's just dramatic. They think it's like, oh, this is way dramatic. But I'm like, just... I need you, movie makers, to think for a moment. 
and just you ha- just read the book and look. You have this moment of, of Voldemort and Harry squaring off, yeah, in front of everybody, and you can cut. You basically have like the end of the the uh, the. I mean, you the have, good, the bad, and the ugly. You, you have, have you have the end of a western. Yeah, you have yeah. a western. You have high fa- noon. Yes, exactly. You have high exactly. You have high noon. And, it's, and you can cut to the faces of all the people standing around. And this actually makes sense with an audience. Because everybody, Harry, everybody knows Harry's the chosen one. Yeah. Harry is the chosen one. All the other ones I can kind of be like, are you like, why aren't they helping? Why are they whatever? With this, we understand why nobody else is doing anything. This is, this is it. This is, yeah. Harry has got to do it. This is how it's got to be it. Like, you. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is our, uh, this town ain't big enough yeah. for the two of us. He's our champion. Let's go do it. <laughs> And they have this square off and they and they circle and they quip and they argue, you know, they go back and forth. And just that moment with everybody around you can cut to everybody else looking horrified and like and just like enraptured at what's going on. Like this is the biggest moment in wizarding history, basically. <laughs> and everybody's here yeah. watching it. But instead, we get smoke monsters flying around for five minutes because it's more actiony, yeah. I guess. And then Voldemort like turns into dandruff. When he dies. Oh, yeah. Which will. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll talk about that. So and then another big thing. So he pulls them off the cliff. They end up in the the courtyard, which yeah. it happens in the Great Hall, which whatever. That's fine. Doesn't matter. All the people should be there. But in the courtyard. Voldemort casts Advada Kedavra. He says it. Hear it. Yes. Harry doesn't say shit. Yeah. And now again, movie. We, we've talked so many times there. The memes are endless about it in this moment. Harry casts Expelliarmus because even still, even in this moment, he's trying to disarm. Yeah, (laughs) that's what he does. He has that is his pure instinct. He goes to that because it is a nonviolent option, even in this moment against Voldemort. And in the movie, it's just some vague red spell, maybe stupefy. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. It just casts a red spell and they do collide. And I'm, I'm okay with that in this moment again of the sort of because that's basically how it's described in the book is like their spells colliding. Yeah. Um, and then Harry's and then Voldemort's wand does kick up in the air. So apparently Harry did cast a Expelliarmus. He just didn't yeah. say it because he does disarm Voldemort. It does. The wand does fly yes. and he catches it like he does in the book. But why wouldn't you have him say it? If he says Avada, I guess because I didn't couldn't have two people saying, but then have Harry say it because we know he's casting Avada <laughs> Kedavra. It's okay. Whatever. Anyways. Um, so now you're to your point here. After Voldemort gets hit with the spell. He turns into dandruff, like I said, in yeah. the movie. He, like, blows away in the wind, which is just, it's its utter fucking nonsense. Yeah. And we have talked again and again and yes. again, and I'm going to bring it up one more time, yes. that the movies utterly ignore the themes of this story. Yes. Tom Riddle. Yeah. And part of what is so brilliant about this last showdown is that Harry does call him Tom. Yes, he calls him Tom. It's a yes. brilliant moment. Yeah. Tom Riddle dies an utterly mundane and human death yeah. in the book. He falls backwards, and there is his corpse. And slumps over on the rubble. Yeah. And then they pick him up and put him in a broom closet. Yeah. Which is another great... They pick him up and they throw him in off the, the hall so his body's not sitting around anymore. But, of course, the movies are going to ignore the themes. And what the movies do is make him into the boogeyman. They make him p- 
puff into a thousand pieces when yeah. he dies. Yeah, he and it's yeah. the same reason that I don't like the way his the way his face appears in the fire and in the water. See, in I don't the mind earlier that. Scenes. I don't mind that. We'll talk about it. But. They make him into the boogeyman. Yeah, he's not the boogeyman. No. He was never the boogeyman. He was always just a person. Yeah. A person consumed by fear. Yeah. He's a person consumed by fear. And that's what makes his death so powerful. Yeah. Is that at the end of it all, that's all he fucking is. He doesn't get a dramatic no. super villain death. No. He gets a person death because yeah. that's all Voldemort is, is a person. Yeah. I was infuriated yeah, when I saw this movie in theaters. Terrible. I left the guy I was dating at the time... <laughs> Like wasn't a book reader, I yeah. don't think, and I left the movie theater incensed. Yeah, and he did not understand. No, it just it, it yes, like I said I can't sum it up any better than you said. It just makes no sense. It it's it flies in the face of everything that J.K. Rowling has been trying to explain about this character. Yeah, <laughs> for the past seven books, and they do it. And and I have no problem very often with movies doing things for the sake of visual interest for, but, for the sake of cinema right but you can only do that when what you're doing for the sake of visual uh you know interest and and, and flash and and dynamic visuals and, and dynamic cinematic moments doesn't fly in the face of the point of yeah. the story and this <laughs> oh it soars in the face yes. yeah <laughs> hmm yeah yeah i would be very interested to sit down with the person whose decision it was to do that and have them justify it beyond, and hear what how they would try to justify it beyond. It looks, looks, it looks cool. cool. Looks cool. You know how that conversation would go. It would yeah. go. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So that was all the big problems. Uh, I thought this is interesting. I say better in the book. This isn't. This is something I thought was because I didn't realize that we actually had a kind of a hard and fast number uh, of how many good guys died. It's mm -hmm. about fifty-five people. 55 yeah. of the good guys died in the final battle um, because he lists off five, four or five. He lists off four or five named characters. And then mm -hmm. he says, and some of the 50 other people died. Yeah. He says uh, it's Lupin, Tonks, Fred. One of the Creevy brothers dies who don't yes. show back up. One of the, the one of the younger Creevy's brothers, which would have been I'm mentioning it now. One of the younger Creevy brothers. I'm not sure if they even say which one. Well, the um, movies probably would have killed Nigel. Yeah, anyways. they should have. They should have. Oh, it would have been all worth it if they would have killed fucking Nigel. <laughs> um, and I mean, they really should have. He is the creepy stand-in. Yeah. Uh, even though the creepy brothers are in the first two, or one of them is. Um, but one of the creepy brothers, and then... Uh, I guess that's it. That's listed in the movie. Or in the book. Mm-hmm. But anyways, because, uh, yeah, uh, and apparently maybe Lavender Brown, but he doesn't say Lavender Brown in the book, which is why I don't buy Lavender Brown being dead. I don't think she's dead. I think she's a werewolf. The movie the movie shows them, like, covering they, her in yeah. a sheet, in which the movie, implies that she's dead, but we don't know that in the book. And here was the controversial thing that I, okay. that I looked up. Um, apparently, Pottermore used to list her death as the Battle of Hogwarts, but then, like, a couple years ago, that vanished, and now it says that her death is, like, unknown or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So who knows? Interesting, because, yeah, in the movie, I think it's very clear that the implication is she's dead. In yes. the book, that's... In the book, it's a lot more ambiguous. And what I thought was interesting is that they show the moment from the book in the movie. They show um, her being... 
like gnawed on by Fenrir. Yes. Which is what happens in the book. And I, I don't I can't find it. But um, that happens in the book. And they do the same thing. They blast her off. Here we go. No, shrieked Hermione, and with a deafening blast from her wand, Fenrir Greyback was thrown backward from the feebly stirring body of Lavender Brown, implying she's alive still. Yes. Because in the movie, she's, like, not moving. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we move on. They don't see anything else that happened to her, but, like, yeah, he's biting her, and then she's moving a little bit, and they blast Fenrir off. And so my thought was always that, no, she's just a werewolf now. Like, she yeah, became a werewolf. Probably. And then, you know, that, that was always kind of how I imagined it. But the movie is like, nah, she's dead. I'm like, all right, well. Anyways, yeah, it's a lot of people. 50 to 55 people end up dying. So, um, and There were a, a couple little things mentioned in the book after the, the fight is over that I liked. Um, there's a mention of Grop leaning in through the windows in the Great Hall and people are like tossing food up to him, which yeah. I liked because it made me think of like a Narnia yeah. book. I feel like that's something that would happen in yeah, a Narnia book. They just book. cut Grop completely. Yeah. Um, and also, we could have never had this because we don't have Peeves yeah. in any of the movies. But at the end of the book, he sings this great little ditty <laughs> yeah. um, about how Voldy's gone moldy. Yeah. He, the Peeves throughout the books is always has a, a master of the limerick. Yes. He, he likes to sing silly little songs to make fun of people and, and includes Voldemort in this instance. <laughs> And then, yeah, this is the one people always get annoyed about that I've seen on the Internet. Yeah, the um, Let Me Get Heated Again movie. Um, Harry snaps the Elder Wand when he's supposed to use it to repair his old wand. Yes. In the book, he repairs his broken wand, his original broken wand, and then puts it back in Dumbledore's grave because Harry is humble. Yeah. And And I think he just wants his old wand back. Right. And that's the implication in the movie still. And I, I have this in a different place, but we'll talk about it in a second. I, I get the grand gesture of, like, snapping it and whatever. I, I just think it's dumb. I mean, it's dumb that he doesn't fix his old wand. Yes. That is dumb. And it would, again, that would have taken no time, no thought. They could have, <laughs> the moment right before he snaps it and throws it off the bridge, he could have been, all right. And then he has his wand, and then he does the same thing. The scene yeah. plays out exactly the same. It adds one, two seconds of screen time. Like, I, I, yeah, why would you not put that in there? And then I, I love this little line in the book. It's in the epilogue, and there's not a ton I love about the epilogue. Yeah, I liked this line. Too, this line's so. great. So that all of the students on the train, as they're sending their kids off to school, are all like staring at Harry. Yeah. And Harry and Ron, are, and Hermione and Ginny are all standing next to each other. And they're, all the people are staring at Harry, and the kids, one of the kids at, like says something, like, what are they looking at, or something like that. And Ron says, it's me. I'm extremely famous. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they're all looking at Harry, but yeah. Ron, you know, kind of. No, I loved that line, too, because to me, it was like this little moment of like, oh, Ron came to terms with it. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's able to joke about yeah. it and kind of have fun with it now. Yeah, I, I thought that was. And the little brief mention of the fact that Neville's uh, the herbology yes. teacher at Hogwarts now, which it doesn't matter that they didn't mention that. But it, again, but it's a nice, moment. nice little thing because Harry just says, like, say hi to Professor or yeah. send 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 <laughs> Professor Longbottom our love or something. Yeah. And it's like, I can't send him our love. He's my professor. That's it. Whew. The final better in the book for Harry Potter. That one was an hour and 40 minutes. Not the longest I think no. we've had, but also not the shortest. But uh, let's do it. Let's move on to Muggle Questions Part 2. Does the book give any backstory to Helena Ravenclaw? The movie just kind of mentioned that she's a ghost, didn't explain why, 
Seemed like she had some angst. Didn't explain why. It'd be nice to know. Yes, we talked about this earlier, and we were we or we mentioned we, the yeah, gray lady, it. and now I and mean, this is where we we're going to come back and talk about it. So she is the gray lady, mm-hmm. uh, the, the ghost of Ravenclaw Tower. Yeah, and we find out in the books, which is, is a fun little backstory thing. Uh, we've never actually even I don't know if we've ever even heard mention of the gray lady until this book, maybe once before maybe once earlier in the early, but yeah. we've never seen her in the earlier books. So yeah. the other ghosts we've always kind of. We know about nearly had this Nick because he's a Gryffindor mm-hmm. one. Talk about the fat fryer occasionally, which is the Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. And they always, you know, there's a couple passing remarks about the ominous bloody Baron, who yeah, is the, the Slytherin, Slytherin ghost. ghost. Um, and so we find out that the Grey Lady was actually murdered by the bloody Baron for essentially spurning his advances or being with another man. Or, and now I can't remember. But he became jealous or something or something happened mm-hmm. and he got upset with her and he murdered her. And then killed himself. Yeah. And so that's why the Bloody Baron is bloody. It's because he stabbed himself a bunch of times to kill himself. Or I don't know how many times, but he, yeah, killed himself. Yeah. So she had stolen the um, diadem. the diadem from her mom, who was Rowena Ravenclaw, the, the Ravenclaw. The Ravenclaw, the founder. Yeah. Um, and I think what happened was that she sent the Bloody Baron to, like, bring her back. Oh, maybe, yeah. And then when Something she like wouldn't, that. like, come with him, he got angry Something like that. Got all stabby. Yeah, that could be. I honestly don't know. He apparently had a very short temper. Yeah, which makes sense. But Uh, also, Slytherin ghost. How horrific to have to be a ghost living in the same castle as your fucking murderer for all eternity. Maybe that's why we never saw the great lady. She like only hung out in Ravenclaw Tower because she's like, I don't fucking see the bloody Baron Jesus. Although after (laughs) what six hundred years, you might get over it. (laughs) Maybe I don't know. (laughs) I would hang out around him and make snide remarks (laughs) about everything. Just be really quippy the whole time. (laughs) Just nothing but sass about him murdering you. Um, and she doesn't actually know in the book. She doesn't know where the diadem is. Right. Uh, she she hid it in a tree in, in, Romania, in Romania and then ended up telling. Or wait, was it Albania? Albania, whatever. Yeah, it might be Albania. Yeah. You're right. I it made that joke an, earlier. It was, it was not Romania. It was Albania, I think. Either way, um, she hid it in a tree. She ends up telling Riddle about it when he's in school. Yeah. He kind of charms her into telling him about it. And he goes and finds it. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know where it is. But. Harry just kind of, again, just kind of remembers the statue and the tiara and kind of puts it together and goes, ah, I remember seeing that in a room requirement. Um, So, yeah, that's her backstory. Uh, She was killed by the Bloody Baron. She's the daughter of the founder of Ravenclaw. I confess I got a little bit ahead of you guys, and I haven't heard part one's podcast just yet by the time I'm recording this. But I heard in Half-Blood Prince podcast that the items used as horcruxes were very personal to Voldemort. I was curious if the items used in the movie were the same as the ones in the books, and if so, what were some of the significance reasons as to why Voldemort chose those items? You may have covered that in part one. If you did, don't worry about it. Um, It is the same items in both the books and the movies. Um, One of the differences is that in book six, we get way more of the uh, pensive, pen- pensive memory scenes um, that kind of shows why those items are important and how Voldemort knew about them. Yeah, we see the cup from a collector lady who had yeah. collects all these things, and that's how Voldemort ended up finding the cup as he knew this lady when he worked for Borgen and Burks, which mm-hmm. is the, the evil wizard shop in Diagon or Nocturne Alley. <laughs> like, all this stuff's kind of like, again, not really super yeah. mentioned in the movies. Right, so the, the cup, the diadem... 
or is it diadem? Diadem. diadem? I don't know. I don't know. Either way. Um, and the locket all belonged to the original founders of Hogwarts, which was important to Riddle because that was the first place he actually felt at home. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we have the snake. Which is which? It's, there's apparently backstory for that. Apparently, in cursive, but in 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 this series, contained within this sort of series, the snake, the is, just snake is just his snake. snake. It's his snake. It's his companion. Yeah. It's the one creature he kind of cares about. Um, and then the the diary. I I always. I mean, we don't get a ton of like backstory on the diary, no. but I always kind of imagined it as just like a thing he had yeah. that was his like first attempt at making a horcrux yeah i always imagined yeah it was the first one yeah was how i always thought about it and that it yeah he uh he yeah it was and again it was just tied to him because i always kind of also thought of it as like the thing where he probably assuming he did use it as a diary like recorded all of his memories from Mm -hmm. hogwarts which Mm -hmm. again is the super important place to him because being a wizard is this thing that makes him special and interesting yeah um, and then the ring was a gaunt family heirloom, so yeah. it's symbolic of his pure blood lineage. And the gaunts are also descended from Slytherin, I believe, right? Yes. And they're like one of the oldest pure blood families in yeah. whatever in England or something like that. So, all yeah. the all the pure blood families are like intermarried and yeah. related to each other, like you do. Yeah, you we know? talked about it in five. How yeah. everybody's all the cousins, everybody's everybody's cousin. So yeah, that they're all just kind of super important. A lot of them are big, important, magical kind of things. Yeah. And then other ones are just very personally important to him. Um, so that's that's where all that stuff came from. I mean, the ring you would never know because they cut that out completely. Yeah. The other ones you could kind of at least place like, uh, you know, oh, the diadems, raven, you know, like at yeah. least it's like a big like whoa kind of cool thing. But the ring you would have no idea why that because they don't. The gaunts are not included. You know, I gotta wonder if he would have been able to make a Horcrux out of the sword. Yeah, because he wanted Gryffindor's sword yeah. to make one, and he ended up, I guess, just going with the diadem, but because or the they cup. Say, um, they say in the books that it's goblin-made, so it only takes on qualities that make it stronger. So would it have even accepted that I'm level of dark magic? Thinking it's likely it wouldn't have, and maybe that's yeah. also why he didn't. I mean, he also couldn't get it. He yeah. couldn't get it yeah. necessarily, but yeah. He's not worthy. Yeah. I know that the Basilisk Fang was used to destroy Tom Riddle's diary, one of the Horcruxes. And maybe we talked about this previously in other podcasts and I just forgot, but why is it that a Basilisk Fang can destroy a Horcrux? What's so special about it? Uh, Because magic, basically. So we find out and Hermione explains that there are only a handful of things that can destroy a Horcrux. When she does that reading in those books that she steals. We mentioned it in part one episode. Uh-huh. She steals these books and finds out about the Horcruxes. One of the things she finds out is that there are certain things that can destroy him. Basilisk, basilisk venom, not necessarily a fang, but venom from yeah, a basilisk being one of one those of things. things. Um, there's a couple other things that can, including fiendy fire, which we find out in the book is actually, and in the book is what destroys the diadem. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works in the movie. Uh, it's slightly different. We'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, Fiendy fire, and then is that how it's pronounced? Fiendy fire? Is it? I thought it was just fiend fire, fire with a Y. Oh, is it? Maybe. Now I feel <laughs> stupid. I thought that I thought that it was just like auto correcting it to fiendy fire in all your notes. Oh shit! I don't know. I thought it. I always thought it was fiendy fire, but is it just? I think it's just fiend fire. Hold on, I'm on, I'm right on the right page here. Give me half a second. Da 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 da. da. Augmenti. No, that didn't work. Um. Da, 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 da. 
Oh, you're right. It's Fiendfire. F-I-E-N-D-F-Y-R-E. All one word. For some reason in my head, since I was a little kid, I always saw that I had put that F in a di- or the Y after yeah. Fiend and just thought it was Fiendy Fire, which I kind of like that though. Fiendy Fire, Fiendy yeah, fire. Fiend Fire, whatever. So yeah, <laughs> Fiend Fire uh, is one of the other things that can destroy it, and I think there's probably a couple other things that they don't. I'm sure they mention a few other things I don't remember now. Those are the only two they ever use. Yeah, and then well. But yeah, but the uh, yeah, those are the only, and then Avada Kedavra kind of. It's part of um, <laughs> it's part of the conceit of the storyline is that they're really difficult to yeah. destroy because it wouldn't be as much of a yeah. story if, if they, they just got the cup and could yeah. instantly like just crush it with their foot or whatever. Yeah. All right, that's part two for Muggle questions. Let's do better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So right off the bat in the movie, we get a little bit of streamlining on uh, the the swords timeline. Yeah. Um. They, the our three main characters know for sure that Snape put a fake sword in the vault. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas in the book, there's this whole thing where they think like he was duped into putting a fake sword right. in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. The movie kind of streamlines that, and it yeah. was a little bit confusing in the book. Not even confusing. It's just kind of stretched out and a little, little it's clunky. It's stretched out. It's a little clunky, and there's not really any point to it no. other than like red herring ish yeah. stuff. Yeah, and and to and to sort of stretch out this Snape, yeah, mystery because yeah. you know, and of whether or not he's good or evil. Uh, another thing better in the movie, the Hermione cleavage shot. <laughs> I'm joking. It's not. I just thought that was so weird. I remember noticing that when I saw the movie the first time. And then noticing it again this time is when they fall out of that fucking cart. Yeah. And they and, and that that scene's great overall. But they fall and she does the thing where she cushions their fall. And I don't know why they decided this, but the one person who falls facing the camera <laughs> is Hermione. And you can see right down the top of her dress because <laughs> she's wearing like the Bellatrix yeah. like bustle like, you yeah. know. Or like, like the corset and yeah, muscle corset stuff and it's just like there's a half second where it's just like oh Hermione's boobs and then she falls in the ground <laughs> like alright yeah I mean they do balance that out by having Ron and Harry strip <laughs> at, at the, at the uh, when yeah they're, like a few minutes later they, they, they strip and down. she doesn't so you know I kind of balanced it out a little bit but I, just, I was like okay movie <laughs> interesting I like I think I think this is kind of an interesting change that makes sense is that uh, so in the and especially works for the movie because they spend so little time explaining the backstory of Harry figuring out what the horcruxes are. Like Mm -hmm. when he gets to the thing, he doesn't know what the cup looks like in the movie. He doesn't Mm -hmm. know what the cup horcrux looks like um, because he doesn't even know it's a cup. Yeah, because we didn't get we didn't any get of the, the setup for it. In the book, he gets uh, he goes into a memory, sees the cup, kind of knows that that's probably a yeah. horcrux, so he knows what the cup looks like and all that. In the movie, what they do to kind of bypass that, the fact that he doesn't know what these things look like, is he can like sense them, he can like feel them. Mm-hmm. I think that works. I think it actually makes sense. I kind of like that because I mean, if you if you buy the whole thing that Harry can like jump into Voldemort's mind because he has part of his soul in him. I think it's not a far stretch that because Harry is also a Horcrux and has part of Voldemort's soul in him, that being close to other pieces of Voldemort's soul kind of like 
like a Geiger counter, you know, sort of like set something <laughs> off and he can feel it. I think makes total perfect no, yeah, I think, um, sense in the movie. That's a, a valid way to get around the fact that they didn't set up yeah. for the other yeah. horror I think it's a valid way to get around it. I also think it just makes sense. Yeah. Like, I think it's just in within the world, within the way the magic is set up in the universe, yeah. I think it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. whenever Voldemort's close and touches him, like a scar explodes, it just makes sense to me that being close to another piece of Voldemort's soul, he mm-hmm. could feel it. Especially like, with the setup with how the locket affects them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about the multiplying curse. You talked about it. Yeah. Um, I thought it looked really good. Yeah, I think it was perfect. Movie, yeah. Exactly how I imagined it. Um, I do think that it was a good idea to cut the part where it burns them. Um, I think it's it was kind of an extra complication without a lot of payoff because it, it doesn't end up being important. Um the other complication with that is that from that point onward, they would either have to have burns in every scene or they would have to somehow explain away why they don't have burns. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I 100% agree with this. I like it because it's scary and weird and like mm-hmm. uh, intense in the moment. But I do agree that it's an extra complication that has zero payoff. Like they just it never gets talked about again. Yeah. They just land. They put some essence of Dittany on it and they're fine. Yeah. So that I mean, that could be what they did. Yeah, they land. They rub essence. What they actually kind of do. If you notice and which is I, I don't know what that was supposed to be. I think maybe they were like blisters from holding on to the dragon. They land when they get on the they get onto the after they get out of the lake and uh-huh. they get onto the land. Hermione dumps like, like I assume essence of Dittany on their hands and they rub. Yeah, they rub it all over their hands. Yeah, maybe it is from the dragon. And my thought is that, yeah, it's supposed like to be chafing or something. like, yeah, like yeah. just blisters from holding onto a dragon yeah. as it flies for, you know, however many miles that they flew. Like, because there's no implication that they got burned at all. Mm-mm. Doesn't seem like it. Uh, but because that is what happens in the book. They do rub essence of Dittany on it, but they're burned all over the place. and yeah. Like their clothes are falling off and shit from the burns, <laughs> which, yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't there's no payoff for it. It doesn't matter, yeah. really. I like that the other goblin gets roasted. <laughs> Mainly, I don't even like that. I just like Ron's line. I think it's a funny moment where he's like, because Grip Hook runs off with the sword. Yeah. And, and they go, he goes, well, at least we got whatever the goblin's name is. And then just gets incinerated by the, <laughs> by the dragon. And Ron goes, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, I like that. Um, I, I like that the movie shows the sword disappearing after grip hook dies does he die in no the book? that That's is what that, I thought. well because in the book the 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 voldemort massacre isn't implied to be at Gringotts. Right. it's yeah. just like at malfoy manor or somewhere mm-hmm. like it's it's not at least i mean it could be at Gringotts, but we, they never say where it is or we don't it could just be anywhere where voldemort is and he just starts killing everybody there yeah but moving it to Gringotts makes, a lot makes of sense. sense. And and we set up, we see the sword disappear. Um, and the lore of how the sword works is vague in yeah. both the books yeah. and the movie. But I think the books do at least a little bit of a better job right. explaining it. So it's a necessary change to me. In the movie. Because, yeah. yeah, you don't get as much of the explanation of why the yeah. sword would show up at the end of the movie doesn't yes. really make as much sense. So seeing it disappear, you're like at least priming the audience to go. Ooh. Yeah, right. For the idea that it's going to show back <laughs> yeah. up somewhere. Yeah. Ooh, something's going on there. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it also makes sense. Like I said, moving Voldemort, massacring everybody there or not even necessarily moving, concretely placing it there. Mm-hmm. Like he shows up to make to see if his Horcrux is mm-hmm. still there and then loses his shit and just kills everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I also, Griphook kind of deserved it. Yeah. Also, Griphook. Yeah. Kind of shitty, which. Yeah, we'll talk about. 
Uh, so I love I, when Harry does show up in the room of requirement with mm-hmm. Neville and everything. They get in and he goes, look, I got to find this thing. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> and Harry goes, I realize that's not much to go on. And Seamus says, that's nothing to go on. It's <laughs> just a great little line. And it just, it, it's just, I like it. It's fitting. It's in, it's good line for Seamus. He doesn't get a lot to do in these movies. Yeah. And to be fair, he doesn't get anything to do in the books either. He's probably in the movies more than he's in the books. I think he is. Yeah. But he, it's a funny line. He's like, that's nothing to go on. The way he delivers it, because he's like yeah. Scottish, I think. I don't know. It's something about the what his accent, the way he delivers it is, <laughs> I, it makes me laugh every time I've seen it. Um. We talked a, a little bit earlier about how Harry steps out of the lines of students yeah. in the movie, and it's really different from what happens in the book. Um, yeah, they confront Snape in a random hallway in the book. Yeah. Snape shows up, and it's just him, yeah. McGonagall, and a couple teachers. And some of, some elements of that scene where all the students are like lined up and he steps out of them, some of that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, Neville being there doesn't yeah, make any because sense. Because the idea is that a bunch of them are like living in the room yes, of requirement. Neville, uh, Jenny's not in school. Uh, yeah. Cho Chang, like all these people, Cho Chang's not even in school. Right, so they wouldn't, whatever, they so. wouldn't be there. Yeah, they wouldn't in be that there. Lineup. No. Um, but I like that scene. Yes, I, I think do it's too. dramatic, it's movie worthy, yeah. and it was a, a good way to, like we talked about, kind of move that part yes. of the story along yeah the thing i think they do there that's really good is it gets everyone all together quickly because otherwise it's they confront snape separately in the hallway then mcgonagall gets everybody together in the great hall and then basically that scene happens where mcgonagall goes okay we're this is what we're gonna defend the school yeah. blah 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 some of you leaves and they kind of just condense all that but also it's more dramatic because yes having mcgonagall and can Harry confront Snape in front of the whole school is like this big, cool, epic stage for it, as opposed yeah. to just in a random hallway. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that I love about that scene is when Snape and McGonagall go to duel. Yeah. When Snape pulls his wand out, people gasp. Mm-hmm. But when McGonagall purrs, pulls her, hers out, people back the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I also love the scene where the teachers protect Hogwarts, yeah. where they send up the shield. Yeah, they put the shield yeah. up. That's cool. And then, yeah, and then she, when she brings the statues down. Yeah. McGonagall, it's a line that's not in the book. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. It I'm like 99% sure that's not in the book. It's not. Okay. I like a lot that they make in the movie that they make Luna realize that they should go talk to a ghost to try to find the diadem. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's Harry. He's like, yeah. ooh, nobody living. Oh, I know. Let's talk to a ghost. I think it totally makes sense for Luna. One, she's a Ravenclaw. She knows a little, like, she's like, yeah, we should go talk to the Ravenclaw ghost. That would make sense. Um, about the diadem for sure. Like, Mm -hmm. cause she also mentions the diadem. So it makes sense for her to come thinking up because of that. But two, also she's like, it fits in with her weird, quirky character of like that weird way of thinking about things. It's a very Luna conclusion to come to. Yeah. Somebody goes, yeah, nobody in living memory has ever heard of it. And Luna would lean in and go, well, we should ask somebody who's not living. Like, you know, it's like, duh, like it's obvious, but like, of course that's because that's how Luna's brain works. So it makes perfect sense for her to come up with that as opposed to Harry. I thought like that just makes way more sense. And I also think that the way they shortcut getting Harry to the room requirement without him remembering mm-hmm. the diadem works pretty well. It, yeah, I like her little does. riddle thing about like if you if you if you know where it is, you'll never. If you don't know, she has some riddle that like very clearly points to the room requirement. Mm-hmm. Like that's where it is. That's where she hid it, basically. 
or something yeah. like that. Or she that's where she knew Riddle hit it or whatever. I think it works pretty well. Um, I wasn't sure what you meant by oh, this. I also really <laughs> so when that when the siege starts, uh-huh. And all of the Death Eaters fire their magic artillery at the shield. Oh, that's what. Okay, all right. I think it looks freaking awesome. Yeah, no, like because they make that huge bubble, like yes. you said. The teachers put up that huge bubble, and then when when Voldemort says "begin," and they all f- raise their wands and fire, and it, you know it's like arrows basically, mm-hmm. or like artillery, like firing and then hitting the shield. It looks really cool, and it's very intimidating. And again, it's very reminiscent mm-hmm. of like an old battle of like arrows flying through yeah. the air, yeah, like yeah, Thermopylae yeah. or something like that. Okay, for some reason, I thought you were talking about like an actual literal shield. And I was like, I don't remember this. Oh, no. The big bubble. <laughs> the big bubble. Yeah. Yeah, the way they try to break through the shield is, is cool. Yeah, no, it does look really cool. I also love the scene. It's tragic, but it's we don't really get anything like it in the book because they Lupin and Tonks show up to fight. We do get the one moment where Lupin runs off, or Tonks runs off to find Lupin. Mm-hmm. Where because... Again, there's a lot of Harry running past people in hallways and people yes. going, well, this is what's happening. What? Where's what? What? What's going on? And, you know, and like Kingsley's like, oh, I saw Lupin on the east side of the school fighting somebody. And Tonks goes tearing off that direction. I do like the little shot, the brief moment in the movie when the siege starts and Lupin and Tonks are standing next to each other on the battlements and reach out to each other, but don't quite touch each other. Mm-hmm. Their hands don't quite reach. Yes, it's. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful moment. Uh, again, it's a horribly beautiful moment, but like, and just really dark and but sweet. I don't know. I, I just think it's a really interesting shot, and there's nothing like it in the book. So I think it's, I think it's, it's nice. And then they burn down the fucking Quidditch pitch. Yeah, which that's cool. I mean, it's it like I wasn't expecting to see that, and I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Like as they're coming towards the school. They go past the Quidditch pitch and they just light it on fire and burn it down and we see it collapsing. Burn like, it all awesome. Down. That's super cool. Again, it's one of those things. It's like it's like the burning of the it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything, but it's like the burning of the burrow or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah. The, yeah, it's, it's burning a down. loss of innocence thing. Yeah. Oh, your fun little game you play. No, burn that shit down. <laughs> I like that the movie lets us see Ron and Hermione go into the Chamber of Secrets and destroy the cup. Yeah. I think it was a really good choice yeah. to show that. Yeah, it wouldn't have made sense not to. They're yeah. and they're main characters in the movies too. More uh, more so than that they are in the books. Which mm-hmm. obviously they're main characters in the books, but it's Harry's in the book. They're almost equal main characters in the movies yeah. to some extent. And uh seeing them go in I think makes a lot of sense. Instead of in the book they just show up and they're like, we destroyed the Horcrux and Harry's like Sweet! <laughs> like, they destroy the cup. Uh, and we get to see... Because also we get to go out in the Chamber of Secrets again, yeah. which is just a cool thing to see again. Like, oh yeah, that, from the second book. That that makes sense. I don't mind this change. I don't think it makes a ton of sense necessarily, but I like it dramatically in this movie. This is one of the ones where it rides the line between this doesn't make any sense and changing it kind of messes up the story. Yeah. But... I get it. And now I think you can I think you could explain it away too. So, what I'm talking about is in this movie as the horcruxes start to get destroyed, Voldemort can feel it. Mm-hmm. And Harry can feel it. Mm-hmm. When it happens, they both react to it. This doesn't make sense in the books. No, it doesn't. <laughs> because they have destroyed horcruxes and Voldemort has not known because he doesn't realize until very late in this book yeah, that the, they the, know about yes. the horcruxes and that they're destroying them he is oblivious to it and and part of the idea behind that is that when you separate your soul into the horcrux 
It's you're split. It's, you're yeah. split. You're separate. It's, it's separate from it's separate. you. Right. Um, but I don't hate. And, and now maybe you could argue it in the same way that I did earlier. Like when you get close enough because mm-hmm. they're all at, this is at Hogwarts when this all happens. I think there might be one where it's a little bit further away, like earlier mm-hmm. in the movie. But most of these when he reacts to it is at Hogwarts. So he's within a couple miles of it. So maybe yeah. if you're close enough, you can make yeah. that argument. I just think it makes for a really good dramatic moment in the film. No, it does. Or when they destroy Horcrux and then we cut to Voldemort. You know, um, like Luton. I do think that for me it works better thematically to have Voldemort just not fucking right. notice that parts of his soul are being destroyed. Right. But I understand the change yeah. for the movie's sake. I don't disagree. I like I said, I I go both ways on it. I doesn't don't think it makes sense. I think thematically it makes more sense. But I don't hate it. And I think dramatic like again, if you don't think about it too hard. Yeah, it kind of works in that sort of yeah. sense. And I, and again, I, I think if I argue like uh, if they're close enough, like if, if he's close enough to it, like that's my caveat for making it not dumb. Maybe is that <laughs> if you're close enough in the same way that Harry can sense them or whatever. Uh, we talked about the kiss earlier between Ron and Hermione and Ron being moved up. I mean, we talked that scene's great in general, but uh, I, it's a hell of a backdrop for Harry yeah. and Hermione and Ron's like on-screen kiss yeah. their one and only on-screen kiss <laughs> that that long shot from the end of the chamber with the S- salazar slytherin behind them and all the s- snake statues lining the walls it's like it's a great uh symmetrical no well it is it is but no the um tableau that's uh, the word i was yes. looking for it's a, it's a great tableau uh the bridge scene with neville yeah, I like this scene. Pretty cool. It's yeah. like, I mean, I'd rather have Neville go and do and plant stuff. Yeah. But I, I honestly, they could have had Neville do plant stuff and have like Seamus and Dean do the bridge thing because mm-hmm. Seamus does do it. They because they make yeah. they call back the joke that Trevor yeah. meant X. Trevor <laughs> asked about this in the very first one. What is it with Seamus blowing stuff up? It's like that's finally, really just a movie thing. Finally, but <laughs> his penchant for blowing things up becomes a plot point. Yes, yes, it does. It pays <laughs> off. It pays off, Trevor. All that waiting. Um, <laughs> But so I wouldn't have minded if they did other stuff with Neville, but I do like I think it's a cool, like dramatic moment. And when they're mm-hmm. all running across the bridge and it blows up and they wipe out like half the Death Eaters. Yeah. It's like it's pretty fucking intense. I, I'm a fan of it. But yeah, they could have done other stuff, too. Mainly with Neville because plants. He needs <laughs> plants. I do also like Harry and Ginny having a quick kiss in the middle of all the chaos when they just mm-hmm. kind of bump into each other in the middle of the fight. Mm-hmm. I think makes sense i think it did like that doesn't happen in the book um because they don't really run into each other i don't think really like there's the moment when harry's going out to die and he walks past her but he's under the cloak in the movie or in the book when he goes out to die he's under the cloak and he doesn't talk to anybody yeah um and he walks past jenny but uh, i do like the moment in the battle when they just kind of kiss and then go their own ways and do their own thing again i don't know um there was another Nice little callback to yeah. the Chamber of Secrets and the Room of Requirement when yes. we see the the random Cornish pixies. And then there's more. Yeah, I was I just saw the one and I was like, ah, Cornish pixie, the and most dangerous creatures. Cornish pixies. <laughs> yeah, uh, they have a Cornish pixie, and then there's a random, and then there's a bunch of them that come flying yeah. out of the thing. But anyways, I liked that. You know, the idea that because all of those got free. Yes. And not all of them got caught again. Some of them <laughs> got into the rumor requirement and ended up breeding, and now there's a whole infestation of Cornish <laughs> pixies in the in the rumor requirement. 
when uh, Harry confronts Mal or Malfoy confronts Harry in the room of requirement, there's a moment because this happens in the book in the movie that Malfoy never confirms to Bellatrix that it is Harry. Yeah. When they when when they get captured at the end of part one movie and mm-hmm. taken to Malfoy Manor and Harry's all swelling up and weird looking, Malfoy never. He kind of goes, maybe it's him, but he yeah, never he like says, and it. he knows it's him. Like yeah. he knows, we know Malfoy knows it's him. And I like Harry saying that to him in this moment being like, mm-hmm. why didn't you tell Bellatrix that was me? Yeah. Just like kind of kneeling him and like also kind of like, we know you're not going to yeah. kill me. Like you're not going to kill me. <laughs> like, you know, you could have and you didn't. You're not, you're not going to kill me. Oh, <laughs> moment so uh it's crab that lights the fire in the book yeah but the reason he's not in the movie is because that kid got busted for selling drugs um spoiler that's what happened that actor so they replace him with, with blaze zavini yeah. yeah uh which it's they really missed out on the opportunity for blaze to be the guy who cast him. <laughs> they really did no but it, 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 i'm glad it should have been goyle it should have been one of the two and since goyle was the actor they had left that's who they used for it um but I love the visual they have of that, where there's a moment where after he casts it, and we cut to him, and he's like waving his wand around, and fire is still spurting <laughs> out in random places, and it just reminded me of every video I've ever seen of some drunk redneck with a, a gasoline can that somehow caught fire, and they're like spinning around in circles, <laughs> spraying fire gasoline everywhere. I'm yeah. like, that would be what Goyle looked like when that happened. He would be like shaking his wand like an idiot, trying to get the fire out, and just spraying it at more and more places um yeah so i i loved that little visual moment um i liked the the moment of teamwork yeah and destroying yeah um the diadem the diadem they they like throw it out harry throws it out hermione catches it and then ron st- or whoever does whatever yeah. but they, they all throw it out and if somebody catches it one of them stabs it with the the fang and then ron drop kicks it into the fire yeah uh, and then it explodes or whatever, or, you know, it explodes, melts kind of. Um, in the book, it's just the fire hits it yeah. and it d- dies. Like we mentioned, fiend fire is one yeah. of the things that can destroy a, a horcrux. And now I kind of like it taking the shape of Voldemort's face because his soul is in that thing. And that, like it, as it dies, there's like a mm. a burst of like him. I don't hate it. At We've least. already talked about why I don't like that. I so. kind of like it in that moment. Well, see, but that's different to me. You say that. I think this is different. I 100% agree about how Voldemort dies and how he's just a person. He's just, but I don't hate in this moment. I mean, we've discussed that. We've we've seen in the books that like the 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 Horcruxes can bring forth parts of Voldemort's. All right, you know what I mean? Enough. Like when the locket bursts fair forth enough. with like Riddle, Hermione, and Riddle, and then uh, the 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 diary being able to bring forth a spectral riddle yeah. and that sort of thing. I don't hate that in that sort of death burst moment, like bro, like a screaming Voldemort face kind of shows up in the flame. Like, I think it's okay. I 100% agree <laughs> in regards to how Voldemort dies. I, th- that is, yeah, absolutely. I just think this is a little different. I prefer them moving the uh, Snape death scene mm-hmm. to the boathouse, which is a heretofore not seen set in any of the movies yeah. or mentioned in the books. In the book, that scene takes place in the Shrieking Shack. Yeah. Um, I like moving it to the boathouse. One, I think the boathouse is a more cinematic. Oh, definitely. Space. Yeah. Um, it's just cooler looking and creepier. Not even necessarily creepier, but it's cooler looking. 
Two, they don't have to go through the passageway. Yeah, it's way easier. It's a little clumsy in the book, so they have to... He, Harry realizes they're in the Shrieking Shack. They have to go to the Whomping Willow, and turn it off, and then crawl and... through the passageway and get there and then crawl back. You know, it's yeah. just like this big convoluted thing. It's like just running down to this boathouse on the lake. It's easier, and it's... Again, I think it's a more cinematic place for this to happen you know what this is super off topic but i'm kind of surprised that jk rowling didn't write a scene where the whomping willow like uproots itself and joins joins the battle, the battle? yeah right that would have been dope <laughs> oh that would have been oh you know how you write that that's even cooler in the chaos harry so in the fight it's dark it's nighttime it's like midnight or one in the morning or whatever and there are all this battle is going on mm-hmm. and as harry's running down to the grounds he thinks it's a giant traipsing through the ground destroying people and then when they finally he realizes oh we got to get to the shrieking shack they run there and they get there and they're like where's the whomping willow (laughs) and harry's like oh (laughs) and realizes that the thing he thought was a giant was actually the whomping willow going to town Oh, God, don't tell J.K. she'll retcon Oh, no, that's even better. I came up with an even better moment. So you know how Grop has to fight the other giant? Uh-huh. And Grop, because Harry mentions in the book, he's like, I never realized or never understood how, how Grop was an undersized giant until this moment. And he's because Grop is fighting like a, a yeah, pure a giant, giant. giant. And who, you know, who's like twice his size or whatever. And so we have a moment where Grop is losing. And then the fucking Whomping Willow shows up and help him kick the ass of the other giant. That would be incredible. That would be incredible. I want, yep, that's what should have happened. That is what should have happened. That would have been amazing. Speaking of giants. Yeah. Get, get back on track here. Oh, um, yeah. We also have a, a brief shot of one of the giants using a Quidditch goalpost <laughs> as a weapon. I thought that was a really clever idea. Because <laughs> yeah. we saw them destroy... The Quidditch field yeah. on their way up. And now we see, and I didn't even realize what it was at first. I was like, what is that weapon the giant has? And then I look close. I'm like, oh, that is a Quidditch goalpost that is like broken. <laughs> and he's swinging it around, hitting stuff with it. And I was like, oh, that's pretty great. I, okay. So we talked about the Snape death scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you think it's more brutal in the book. I think this scene in the movie is one of the best film scenes in this movie for sure. Uh, maybe in the series. But. The sound design is uh, – both of these movies have done this a lot. We talked about it a little bit in the previous one about sort of a minimal sound design mm-hmm. where it's – it's we just – there's not much music. I don't know if there's any music in this scene. Probably not. A lot of times they've done a good job of dropping the music out in these moments. And we don't see the snake actually bite him. Yeah. Maybe like the first time we see it come at him. But then we cut to a shot from behind the window he's like leaning against. Mm-hmm. And you just see his silhouette through the window shake when you hear the snake hit him. Yeah. And then the wall shakes. And you can see Her- Her- Harry, Hermione, and Ron like reacting to it. And it's just, I don't, we don't see it happen. And to me, that not seeing it, but kind of seeing it and hearing mm-hmm. it. And imagining it is so, I mean, there's that, that adage about horror films is that it, the things you imagine are always scarier than the things you'll see in a horror film. Yeah. And something about not seeing it, but kind of seeing it is way more brutal to me and way like, ugh, like more intense than just how I imagined it, seeing it in my mind in the book. Mm-hmm. Again, not seeing it, just the silhouette, the shaking, the sound. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think it's one of the best put together scenes in the series um 
for a character that probably doesn't deserve the best put together. <laughs> Anyways, no, I, I think it's a really it's a it's a really great scene. Mm. Um, I also like that they changed up the way that we get the memories yeah. from Snape. It's, I forgot. I, in my head, it's the way it is in the movie. Yeah, that's I didn't remember that in the book. It's described as like. It, it oozes out of his head. Yeah. Right? I'm not crazy. Yeah. That's what it says. Like, out of his ears and out, like, just... It sounds weird. It sounds weird and, like, creepy and gross. And, and I, like, I think having it be his tears is, it's way more, like, poignant. Way more poetic. Yeah. And, like, yeah, despite your feelings on the whole thing, like, it, in in Snape's head, it makes sense. You know, yeah. like, in, in as, as the, sort of the, the hero of his own story, mm-hmm. it makes sense for him to cry for the tears to be the thing that contain the memory of how you know of, mm-hmm. of lily and all that sort of stuff as opposed to like some weird head ooze i like okay when, when he goes and he sees all the memories blah 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 and then he's gotta he's gonna go die yeah i like in so in the book he's under the cloak doesn't talk to anybody in the movie he stops and he talks to hermione and ron it's the only people he sees i like that change too i think it makes sense yeah, I, I I think it makes sense, again, giving them that last moment with them, and it can only be with them. They're the only two mm-hmm. people that it makes sense with, I think, because one, they're smart, and they've been there on this journey the whole time, yeah. and they're also both warriors at this point, and they understand yeah. what's why and what. They're the only people who know. They're the only yeah. other people who understand everything that Harry knows, other than the whole memories with Snape thing, but that's kind of irrelevant. But he, they, they understand that... It was always going to be Harry confronting him. They've talked about this. They'd know. And I think giving them that last moment and Hermione hugging him, it just makes sense. And I think it's also the only people that Harry. And it might even be described differently in the book, but I would just disagree. I think it's the only two people that Harry could stop and talk to and then still go do the thing Mm -hmm. he needs to do. Yeah. I think if it was, again, like Jenny, he talks about in the book. He's like, I don't I would just stand there forever. I would never go like I couldn't, you know, leave. So I really like that scene. It's yeah. it's it's heart wrenching, but it's also I think it makes sense for their characters. <sighs> this final battle. This is the only thing I like that they change about the final battle. It's the only thing I like when Harry and Voldemort are circling and talking in the Great Hall. Mm-hmm. It goes on. It does a, lot. a, a little, yeah. Well, and it's not even so much that it goes on a lot. It's that Harry just exposits. He, a he lot of guy monologues. He good guy monologues at Voldemort <laughs> in a way that's a little like on the nose and like, all, all right, like why are you saying like it's just it feels a little weird and I, I wish they would have left some of it in just so it made a little more sense and again mm-hmm. I like that ending more than the movie ending by a lot but I think they could have trimmed they cut it all out in the movie yeah I don't like that but it's kind of <laughs> like this weird clash between way too much in the book and none in the movie yeah. and I, I wish they would have figured out a way to yeah well i'm gonna go ahead and talk about everybody's two favorite things from <laughs> yeah. the end of this movie yeah the first of which is voldemort's weird awkward laugh oh absolutely like he doesn't fucking know how to laugh which sure makes he, sense. yeah he laughs like someone who knows the intellectual theory of laugh but he's never actually done it 100 percent which I think it's true. Yeah. Same same for this next point. <laughs> the, yeah. The awkward Voldemort hug. Yeah. The last good thing in this movie. <laughs> and then pan over to Dean fucking fighting back a laugh. This is the only moment to shine in this whole series. <laughs> Dean gets one moment and it's a big moment. 
It's the post Voldemort hug scene, and Dean. <laughs> okay. It's great. It is truly brilliant. Uh, yeah, and the, the hug is, yeah, it's something else. It is something else. And I like after that moment uh, when Harry's, I don't love the way, again, Harry comes back to life and just runs away. Blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I don't love that. But I do like that when that happens and when <laughs> the Death Eaters see that Harry's still alive, like a good 30% of them just leave. Yeah. They just apparate out of there, <laughs> including the Malfoys. They just whoop. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, I do like that the Malfoys just like up and leave. Yeah. They're like, fuck this. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> we're leaving. This is no. <laughs> Mostly Narcissa. She's like, yeah. oh, and we're done. Yeah, we're, we're done. <laughs> this is enough of this. We, nope, we're out. Uh, and we talked about it earlier. I don't like that he doesn't fix his wand, but I do like that he breaks the Elder Wand and throws it off the cliff. I don't, I, if you put it in Dumbledore's thing, somebody else could get it. And then all I have to do is kill Harry and then it's theirs. Okay. Which Harry can die now. He's not immortal. Because <laughs> Harry even says he's like, so in the book, he's like, so if I just die a peaceful, natural death, uh, nobody will ever get the wand, right? And they're like, yep. And he goes, Cool, I'm gonna become an or <laughs> I'm gonna go into a really dangerous <laughs> line of work fighting evil wizards. <laughs> And hope nobody goes and finds the like. I mean, sure, odds are good that it wouldn't, but and now maybe you can argue that you wouldn't be able to break it. I don't know. Who knows how that yeah, would work? But uh, I don't hate him just being like, nah, I don't need this. We don't need anybody to have it. Dumbledore, I think, would agree. I don't need that. And you know, he like the whole like ceremonial idea of putting it back with Dumbledore. I feel like Dumbledore would be well on the side of like, no, nobody <laughs> needs that. Get this shit out of here. He's learned his lesson. And then there's the last line of the non-epilogue is basically Harry being like, oh, I'm back. I'm going to go up to bed. (laughs) He thinks about his dorm. He's like, thinks about his bed up in his dorm room. And it's like, it's still, I'm still technically in school. I think technically that bed's still mine. He's like, I'm going to go get some sleep because I haven't slept in like a week and a half. Uh, And he wonders if creature can bring him some food. (laughs) That's like how it ends. And I I just kind of love that's not in the movie. Oh, that was supposed to be better in the book. Place. That was supposed to be better in the book. No, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I had that. I meant to have that in better in the book. I drug it in the wrong place. But yeah, in the book, he has this like brief thought of like going yeah. to sleep in his bed. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think it's kind of a nice thing. It, it reminds me of like a hobbit finishing their journey. Yes, it's like it is very. Oh, fucking, I just want to go very hobbity sleep and eat some food. <laughs> And sleep in, at Hogwarts, which is now safe again. Like, I've, yes. I've saved Hogwarts, and now I can, I can go safely sleep in my bed up there. All right, that was it for Better in the Movie. Muggle Questions, part three. Harry holds the Resurrection Stone in his hand at one point in the movie. Using it, couldn't he have brought everyone standing around him, all the ghosts standing around him, and everyone else that lost their life at the battle back to life? Why didn't he? And why did he drop it before going to see Voldemort? So he did bring them back is my understanding of this. Mm-hmm. And now you, you may disagree. I don't know. This is my reading of it. Um, well, he, I mean, it no, definitely he totally some, does. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there's some kind of later on, I'd say my reading of it is we can, you can see if you agree with me, but he definitely brings them back in the book. In the book, he turns the stone over three times in his hand. They don't show him doing that in the movie. He just holds it yeah. and then they show up. Uh, it's sort of implied like in the movie that they just show up. They even say, I don't even remember what the line is, but they say something where it just almost seems like he didn't 
do yeah. that like they just kind of were there for yeah. some reason he even says like why are you here and he's and they say because you need us to, i don't know there's something implied where it's like harry's like why are you here and i'm like they're and, and in the book it's they're there because he very clearly intentionally brought them back mm-hmm. uh and then well and so he the reason he didn't bring everyone actually back like actually quote unquote back is because the Stone doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's not how the stone works. Like, you can't actually resurrect people with it. Now, this is the way... I, this is sort of my headcanon for what's going on here. Because in the... In the tale of the three brothers, it's implied that when he brought back... The brother brought back his dead fiancé or whatever. Mm-hmm. That she was, like, off and miserable. Yeah. And, like... Because she doesn't belong there. Not, she doesn't belong there and she's not herself. But to me, the implication was that she was sort of physical, mm-hmm. potentially. Like, at least it seemed like it, that she was, like, actually there. Like, she wasn't, like, a ghost. But she wasn't supposed to be there. And so, like, her spirit was, like, off. Mm-hmm. This is my my sort of read on it. Again, I'm, I'm just kind of implying or reading into it here. I think with when Harry brings back Lupin, Sirius, and his parents... He brings back them. They don't feel off. They're not like mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. Un- non-belonging yeah. versions of themselves. It's them. But because they're like, right. They aren't actually physically. Yeah, there. They're more like ghosts. They're more like, like ghosts. Memories. Or like the things in the in book four. Yeah. Like when, yeah, the, when yeah, they come yeah. out of the wand. And so that was how I kind of read it is that you could bring somebody back physically. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, they're not really them. Like they're not mm-hmm. right. They're off. Or as Harry does it in this moment, because he doesn't actually bring them back. You can bring them back sort of spiritually, but then they're not there physically. So you can have one or the other. Kind of. But not both. Yes. That was kind of how I read it. Yeah. At least because that because it does to me seem like it's two different things from how it's described mm-hmm. in the tale yeah. versus yeah. what we see with Harry. I don't know. That was just sort of my, I don't know, take on it. But um yeah, and then he drops, he drops the stone because his hands are sweaty in the book. Yeah. Not even kidding. That's why he drops the stone. <laughs> he just drops it, and then they disappear. That, that's that's all that happens. Did the book explain how the Death Eaters got a hold of Hagrid? Um, so Hagrid is in the battle, yeah, which you wouldn't know from watching no. the movie, and he gets uh, dragged into the forest yeah. by the spiders. Uh, Harry tries to go after him, but he can't. Um, so we kind of assume that he might just be dead. Yeah, we don't know what happened to yeah. him. He just, the spiders end up taking him away, and we're yeah. like, shit. Until, you know, Harry gets into the forest, and we see that he's there with the Death Eaters. Yeah. And it is like the movie. When Harry walks into the forest, he is tied up next yeah. to him. and But he was drug in there by the spiders, and I, I always sort of assumed the spiders were doing the bidding of yeah. the Death Eaters. The Death Eaters went into the woods and basically talked to the spiders, and were like, we're going to, you want to eat some people? And they were like, Yeah. <laughs> and so they went, they went and did that. I feel like I, I missed something big, but when Harry dies and Draco's mom goes to check on him to make sure he's dead, she asks Draco if Harry was dead when it seemed like Draco wasn't even around. Very confused by this. Can you help? So this question, Trevor, I love you for it so much. Uh, <laughs> I can see why you felt, why you asked this by the way it's the line is delivered. Yeah. She's asking Harry if she realizes she crouches down. It's very clear in the book because we know Harry's alive. Yes. In the movie, we don't necessarily. Well, I mean, we do know, but 
we don't know that she knows he's alive in the, in the book. It's very clear that she feels his heartbeat in the movie. She reaches down, she realizes he's alive. And then she asks Harry, she goes, is he alive? Draco. Yeah. Asking Harry, is he alive? Qualifying that he as Draco. And then Harry goes, he nods in the movie. Yeah. And now I can see how if you're watching that and don't realize what's exactly what's going on here, you're like, why is she asking Draco (laughs) if Harry's alive? (laughs) Because Draco's not there. Yeah. Like what? So (laughs) it's my favorite question you've asked because I do see how you got there. But yeah, she's asking uh, she's asking Harry if Draco is alive because she's only really worried about that anymore. And getting her son back. So and that's why she also that's why she lies. Yeah. That's why she lies to Voldemort. It's because when Harry says, Yeah, he's alive, she's like, All right, well I don't yeah. I'm actually still not exactly sure why she lies. Just she just because I guess Harry did her the Harry did her a solid. A solid by um you know. but uh, you know, she also maybe might be working out in her head that like I need to get back to the you school. You need to get back to the school, yeah. And the so, best way to do that is... The best way to do that is to make Voldemort think he's going to go on a victory parade. Yeah. I think, actually, it does say that in the book now that I think of it. Does Something it? like that. Okay. that. Something about you saying that made it ring in my mind that that's mentioned in the book that she assumed... That Harry's like, she probably thinks the best way to get to Draco is... Yeah. To go back up to the school with me dead, basically. So, okay. That makes sense. All right. The movie nailed it. Nailed it. So uh, we do get uh, Here Lies Dobby a free elf at the very yeah. beginning of this movie. Yeah. I thought so. I was just doing the double check. We do. I thought Grip Hook was spot on. Very creepy. He, properly, his scene with Harry uh, is properly, res- he's like oddly respects Harry, yeah. but also doesn't trust him because he's a yeah. wizard, but he's also kind of weird and creepy. He's very like unsettling. Yeah. Yes. And I think the movie, because that's a tough line to yeah. kind of ride with a character in a very brief scene. To kind of be off put by him, but also like, yeah, you can tell he likes kind of respects Harry because the whole he yeah. had to have the line about Harry burying Dobby and he's like, you're a strange wizard, Harry, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I thought it was a great, great scene. And that's uh, what's his name playing him? Um, Flitwick. <laughs> he plays. Oh, both. really? Yeah. yeah, he plays both. <laughs> Same for the Ollivander scene. Yeah, Ollivander's great, but I like that they included everything and he looks at the wands and goes through the wands and explains a lot. I think they covered a lot of the really important dialogue in a very brief scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he did a really good job with it. So, um, You had this in another section. I thought they did a good job with Ron's disguise. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, you only see it for a second. <laughs> yeah, it, gets all, it comes off of him pretty quick. But, yeah. And it comes off of him because of the waterfall. Uh, and I thought that whole sequence where they come down and then they go under the waterfall and the way the little alarm slowly pops out and yeah. then tips them over and they fall and then they levitate like that's all spot on from the movie. And I thought was perfect uh, and, and exact kind of exactly how I imagined it. I mean, the, the, the whole book. all of the great stuff scene yeah. and the escape on the dragon is great. I felt so bad for the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. No, everything about Gringotts is, is yeah. pretty much perfect. And yeah, the. The, the the great moment where the the goblins are all sitting up in the top part and they hear the rumblings and, you, and yeah. all of a sudden a dragon <laughs> bursts out of the bottom yeah it's all it's all it's awesome Aberforth I thought was great mm-hmm. uh, he's a, it's a little brief role for him uh, he does show up again in the battle you see him a couple yes. times which is nice because he is in the battle at the in the book uh, but he also uh, 
I thought he did a, he looks a lot like Michael Gambon. Like mm-hmm. he looks Similar properly enough, like a brother yeah. like him. Um, I also thought he just did a really good job in a scene that is tough because we haven't got a lot of the Dumbledore backstory. Mm-hmm. I think he does a good job of portraying the tension mm-hmm. within their family. Yeah. He sells it really well. And and even if you even as a moviegoer, if you know, don't understand what they're talking about because it hasn't really been explained and they don't go into any detail about Ariana or what. Ha- I mean, they do a little bit, but like it's all kind of vague. You get the point of the scene mm-hmm. from how it's acted and how it all plays out. And I think Aberforth's a big part of that. I was glad that they didn't just dress up Michael Gambon as yeah, right. just make him look a little right. different. Right, just like a different Michael Gambon. No, they got, they got a different guy. Yeah, they got but a, he looks, a guy who yeah. looks conceivably related. Yeah. Um, I also thought they, they did a good job with Neville looking all beat up from yeah. leading the resistance. I just wanted to make sure they had that moment in the movie of Neville showing up bloodied and beaten yeah. from yeah. literally like leading the revolution within... Hogwarts and he mentions this line because I thought it was a really dark and creepy thing in the book uh, that he got he got punished for not using Crucio on first years Mm -hmm. people that get detention the Caros make other students practice Crucio on them yeah which is fucking crazy and yeah but he mentions that in the movie I was like I'm glad they mentioned that because that's dark and I thought the rumor requirement under Neville's care looked exactly how the book describes mm-hmm. it with the, all the hammocks the everywhere and, and just people yeah. kind of hanging out all over the place. It looks like it's the ultimate fort. Um, the guard statues coming to life. Yeah. I had actually forgotten that that was in the book. Yeah. But it's amazing. Yeah, it looks movie. great. Yeah. And see, I, I could almost argue that this could go in better in the movie because it's cool where they're all jumping down. From, yeah. Like in the movie, in the book, I just imagine them kind of stepping off their plinths because mm-hmm. they're, they're never really described as like being this big like wall of knights. Yeah. They're just kind of throughout the castle at different places. Uh, but yeah, them kind of like jumping down from it looks doing cool. the superhero. Yeah, landing. they do. They get the superhero. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah. The fiend fire. Yeah, Fiendfire looks cool. And because I, I was worried, we've talked about this a lot of times, like with the uh, Patronuses, how a lot of times it's like, it's just an, a silvery, shiny animal. Make mm-hmm. it that. And in the book, the Fiendfire is explicitly described as having like creatures in it. Yeah. Like there are these like within the flames, like these creatures fiends. come out. Like, yeah, they're fiends. There's like there's like raptors and like, you know, all kinds of weird. Sh- and they do that in the movie. They have mm-hmm. these kind of cool, like weird animals coming out of the flames yes. and yes. cascading around. And it looks completely uncontrollable. It moves more like water than anything. When, you know, like it's like almost like a flood, basically. Uh, yeah, it's kind of exactly... The whole scene in the room requirement basically was kind of how I imagined mm-hmm. that going down. I love this scene. The one take, I think it's a one take, uh, of them running. When they realize they need to go down to the boathouse, Harry sees Voldemort down at the boathouse and knows we got to get down there. Yeah. And they're running through the battle. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite part of the battle um, in the movie. I think it perfectly captured. It's the it's the part of the movie that best captures the chaos and sort of how it, the parts in the book where I'm talking about where Harry's running up and down halls and running into different people and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think this moment does that the best where there's just like dueling and then running by 
giants and then they uh, they spot lavender being mauled by fenrir and like blast him across the room and then run, you know and we see that mm-hmm. it's lavender and it's like all that is kind of little elements from the book worked into this one big impressive like chaotic long take i think was one of my favorite parts of the battle sequence and i thought uh, was truly captured what i kind of imagined in the book mm-hmm. um so you have then down here voldemort's magic loudspeaker yeah. when when Voldemort talks into people's ears yeah uh, <laughs> I could almost argue this for better in the movie yeah I agree in the book I imagined you're right it, I should have yeah I imagined it more like um what the loudspeaker charm that they use yeah yeah I imagined it in like um uh a book we're gonna be doing before too long uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or uh-huh. Universe Gal- yeah. yeah yeah Galaxy uh, I get it confused because there's a podcast I listen to that has a similar name. Anyways, but it's slightly different. It, and that one's universe and this one. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Anyways, uh, which we're going to be doing soon. Uh, when the aliens show up in the very beginning and they talk to all of Earth at once. Yeah. That's how I imagine the Voldemort. I think you're right. I should have put this in better in the movie because it's this moment where he starts doing it. And it's it. You you realize it's not so much that they're hearing it, it's that in yeah, their heads. In their heads. And like Ugh. some of the people freak out. Like younger students are like freaking out and screaming. And like and, and the whole time you can everybody's like holding their head and like mm-hmm. it, it he's cause he's literally like forcing by sheer force of magic or whatever in his yeah. thoughts into your head. It's, and it's like uh, painful it's, and it's like legimens or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah legilimens, right? Yeah. I, I agree. And I, I think it's it's it, it everybody gets freaked out when this happens and kind of like it's just like being bombarded with this thing you yeah. also kind of like how you like when you you imagine like when you see like militaries using like um sound as like a weapon yes you know like where they get like those uh those uh, like, riot weapons where they like blast sound at somebody and it like disables you i kind mm-hmm. of imagine it's similar to that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah i think that should have went in better in the movie probably um we talked some about snape's memories They're really edited down, which we discussed, but I do think that the movie did a good job with making that scene, like, really haunting and gut-wrenching. The editing in that scene is kind of brilliant, and the score on top of it. um, That scene is really, really well done. Uh, It's the way stuff flashes around. It would be hard, again, I think it would be hard to follow for a non-book reader, but for Mm -hmm. a book reader, you get the little flashes of the things that you need to see. And the editing and the music is just... And, and then again, it's Alan Rickman crushing every scene he's in. Um, but it's also one of the reasons, I think, who even if you read the book and then you watch this movie and it's been a while since you reread the books and that's the last thing you remember about Snape. Yeah. I can see why you could come out of this being like, yeah, Snape. Snape. Woo, Snape. Yeah. yeah. You know, if no, you... I, yeah. Again, because also they leave out all the more problematic bits of that memory sequence yeah. of him being racist, of him being a stalker, of him being <laughs> actively a death eater, you know, all those things get whoop, left out and we just get the shiny brave bits of Snape, you know, quote unquote brave bits of Snape. Uh, so yeah, but it, but that being said, it's a very well constructed scene and it does a good job of, of kind of mm-hmm. capturing and summing up Snape's whole existence. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, you know, in a in a very short matter of time. And included in that is a very important line that I think is a really interesting line. And in, 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 in that when Dumbledore's explaining to Snape, Harry has to die. Mm-hmm. 
And Snape goes, so all these years you've kept him alive just so he can die at the proper moment. Yep. And it's like, fuck. (laughs) You know? And I was glad they kept that line in the movie because it's always a line that stuck out on its own in that sequence in my head in the book. Mm -hmm. And I I was glad that was in the film. I also think the movie did a really good job with the uh, baby thing, gross piece of Voldemort's soul. It looks pretty similar ish to the one they dump in the cauldron in four yeah kind of yeah which it should i think it makes sense yeah and adding on to that the entire king's cross afterlife Mm -hmm. i thought was exactly what i imagined you know there's like this weird white not floor and like you can kind of just see the columns in the background you can like vaguely see the outlines of things yeah and there's no trains and there's just like a random bench (laughs) and like yeah yeah Spot on. Um, they get a lot of the lines. Yeah, other than the scene, one. Other than the one. Which I thought was um, big. But yeah, they do get a lot of the other ones. The, the One of the ones that I, I was glad that they had in, because again, it's... This is a good thematic line to have in there, um, specifically. Not, I don't think quite as good as the other one, but it's still mm-hmm. good. And it's uh, Albus talks to, or talking to Harry, and he says this towards the end of the scene in the movie. Don't pity the dead. Pity the living, and above all those... Who live without love. Yeah. Which, yeah. Again, well, you know. And they, they didn't leave out the classic. Yeah. Of course it's all happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean it's not real? Yeah. Which is a great line for fans of fiction. No, I mean, I mean that in the sense of like, I think it's a very, I, I like the line. It's a good line. And it, the way he delivers it in the movie is, is great. Because, uh, you know, th- th- that scene is probably Dumbledore, Michael Gambon Dumbledore at his best in the series or some mm-hmm. of it, where I think he kind of plays that how exactly how yeah, he should. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, like yeah, of course, it's happening in your head, Harry. But th- why does that mean it shouldn't be or why does that mean it isn't real? I think that's a, that's a message that would line in the book was a message to every kid reading this book. And yeah. I don't mean that in the sense of like, quote unquote, actually real, obviously, but like all of these things that you're reading about and learning in this book. Yeah. They're in this book. They're in your head. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not important. And it doesn't mean they're not applicable. Again, all of the themes we've talked about love and, 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 and bigotry and, and all of all of the things we've discussed over the course of the past seven books slash movie, eight movies, uh, I think it's important to try to remind the reader that, yeah, you can get just because it's 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 fiction. It's something you're reading and it's something in your head. It's still important. It still means something. It still has real world applications. Yeah. And then the epilogue. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the epilogue overall, (laughs) but the movie does nail the sappy. Yeah. Feel good. Seeing them off on Sail the train, off in yeah, the sunset. yeah, like the next generation, woohoo! Like, yeah, I, I mean, the the epilogue is the epilogue. It, yeah, they just cut some of the lines, but it's the exact exactly what you imagine from the book. So, yeah, that's it for the movie. Nailed it. Muggle questions, part four. Here's a big question, and it's one that's kind of bothered me. How is it? that Harry can come back to life. If he was killed by Voldemort and he truly did die, why is it that he's able to come back? 
Okay, this is important. This is a big one. Yeah. Oh god, I forgot about it. We had to discuss this still. <laughs> so, there's a couple reasons Harry is able to come back to life. It's not super clear. I mean, it is. It's pretty clear in the book. Mm-hmm. But there's, I think there's, it's multi-layered and kind of multifaceted. The main reason, though, that Harry is able to come back to life is not dead after Voldemort, Avada Kedavra's him. It's twofold. One, Harry doesn't defend himself. Yes. Which is, I think the idea behind that is that's how the Horcrux dies. Not yeah. so much why Harry's able to come back. Yeah. But that's what kills the Horcrux is that Harry doesn't defend himself. And so that, the Avada Kedavra basically just kills the, the part of Voldemort's soul that was inside. Gross soul, baby. Yeah. The reason Harry's able to come back is because when Voldemort used... Way back in book Way four. back in book four. <laughs> cast your mind back, Trevor. Uh, when Voldemort uh, regained his body at the end of that movie, he had to pull together three ingredients. He had to pull the bones of, a fa- of the, his father yeah. forcibly, whatever, uh, the flesh of a servant. Which was Pettigrew. Which was Pettigrew, who cut his hand off, and he sucked the bones out of the grave of his dad or whatever. Yeah. And then the blood of the foe forcibly taken. And Voldemort decides that in order to, when he resurrects, the person that makes the most sense yeah. to use their blood to come back is Harry. He's got to have Harry's blood. He's the only and, person that's ever defeated him. And I think that there's even a line somewhere in book four where Pettigrew is like, we could use anybody. Yeah, Pettigrew does. And Voldemort insists. No, he insists it's got to be, be Harry. Harry. It's got to be Harry because, again, Harry's the only person I've ever, who's ever defeated me. His, his, in his lust for power and his lust for domination, the thing that brings me back has to be the only person that ever mm-hmm. bested me, quote unquote. What we find out is that by doing that, some of Lily's blood, Harry's blood, which is protected by Lily's sacrifice mm-hmm. in the very beginning, when Her- Lily died to save Harry and did the blood, basically the blood magic that yeah. saved Harry. That magic was transferred into Harry's blood. That's why Harry's protected. And then when Voldemort took some of that blood, now it is in Voldemort. So Voldemort has that same magic exists still in the world, basically. Kind of is how Dumbledore explains it. So when Harry dies, he can't die. Yeah, it creates like a tether. Yes, it tethers him to the world because Voldemort still has that Mm-hmm. protection in him so Voldemort in his arrogance yes. and in his lack of understanding of love yes it is once again yes. his downfall yes. and so he ends up uh, being able to come back because yeah because Voldemort has his blood in him so that's it the movie does not explain that at all no, not even not a little all. bit not even a little bit <laughs> The Malfoys just straight up bailed before the bleep hit the fan in the final battle. Why? So the Malfoys have been in Voldemort's bad graces for a while now. Yeah. Um, They have not been living up to his expectations. I mean, honestly, since he came back, because they they didn't come try to find him while he was exiled. They, they, you know, they were just kind of living their own life and... Not super worried about trying to help him come back. But then when he did come back, they're like, oh, yeah, we're here. Never mind. We're back. Um, And like we kind of talked about earlier, they just got that to that point where they were like, fuck this. Yeah. We just want our kid. 
Yeah. We just want our kid and we want to get out of here. Yeah. Although in the movie, they want to get out of here. In the book, I thought this is really interesting. They're still at Hogwarts after the battle. Yeah. yeah all they're all just three of like them. hanging out. During that post uh, battle, like, dinner scene, they're all just sitting off in the corner, like, munching like, on <laughs> chips. Like, <laughs> just kind of awkwardly. Like, yeah. is anybody going to kick us please out? Please don't. Yeah. Are they, <laughs> we're just going to sit here until somebody tells us to leave. <laughs> um,. So yeah, they're 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 done. They're they're they've yeah. been done. They're, they're over not. It. Yeah, they were never super committed to the cause. They're they're like racist and, and awful people, but they were never like. Well, the thing is, is they that, were selfish yes, more than anything. They were yeah. selfish, and as soon as that lifestyle was unavailable to them, as yeah. soon as it became uncomfortable, yeah. they didn't want to do exactly. it anymore. Yeah. In the end, did Harry actually kill Voldemort, or was it his lack of Horcruxes that allowed him to just like? fall apart into a weird ash thing so both uh but more importantly <laughs> harry doesn't actually kill voldemort yeah. which i guess if you watch the movie you might which, not realize this it's the point that's the, the point. whole point it's kind harry of the whole point kill him. And the it's fact the that harry point. and the fact that trevor doesn't understand that or didn't realize that's highly this. concerning well and I, I think it's actually fair because i think you could easily like this I, I can totally see why he would not be oh, sure no, like, not the part where trevor didn't right. understand no, no, it. No, the I part know. where the movie wasn't clear it i wasn't find clear. that very yeah. troublesome yeah so uh well so in terms of was it did Harry kill him or his lack of Horcruxes? The reason I said both is that, one, he had to have no, no Horcruxes left. Yes. But then he also had to die. So yeah. him, th also it makes it a little confusing in the movie because th the thing is, by moving the snake dying to right before he dies. Like, literally, if you remember in the movie, Neville cuts the head off the snake and then they cast a spell at each other yeah. and then Voldemort dies. So it feels a lot like... Yeah, it feels really close Almost together. more like it's had something to do with the snake dying, which, again, it does. All of the Horcruxes had to be destroyed, including the one in Harry. Harry was the seventh Horcrux that Voldemort never meant to make. Um, and so once all those Horcruxes are dead, including the snake, he's able to die mm -hmm. and actually die. But Harry, and why I said Harry doesn't kill him, is that Harry, like we said earlier, uses Expelliarmus. Voldemort, by not being the master of the Elder Wand... When he tries to kill Harry, his spell rebounds on yes. himself, and he kills himself, yes. essentially. Ultimately, Voldemort kills himself um, in that moment. His bullet ricochets yeah, literally. and hits him. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Um, so Harry doesn't kill him, uh, essentially. I mean, he you know, kind of does, but yeah. he doesn't actually like cast a killing spell at him. But he does die because of their duel. Mm-hmm. And because all of the Horcruxes were destroyed. Uh, and also, I just want to point out that, to be fair, wand lore is incredibly complicated and confusing. It is. In the, in the books. And I think that's both intentionally and unintentionally. Mm -hmm. I think there are elements of it that are intentionally like, woo, wands are weird. And then other parts <laughs> of it where she's like, woo, I'm not sure what I meant for that rule to be <laughs> like, it was, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's like a little bit of both going yeah. on of like, yeah, for sure. They're not hard and fast rules, but also we're not, uh, we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> kind of make them up as we go. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me a part of this film is lit Harry Potter edition. I've learned a lot. My wife is begging me to read the books now, so I might have to do that. And then I'll tell you if the books were better than the movie. Thanks a bunch, guys. Really appreciate it. That's it. That was Trevor's final muggle question. That was a great final muggle question. Honestly, maybe his best yet. That's it. He's done. Thank you, Trevor, Thank once you. again yes. for all this time watching all the movies, recording all of these lovely questions for us. 
and and coming on this journey as we delved in to the entire series of Harry Potter. All right, let's finish up this general discussion and then hit our final verdict, the ultimate final verdict, <laughs> the elder final verdict. Oh boy. Uh, so this is the only movie that doesn't start with Hedwig's theme. It's true. Probably because she's fucking dead. <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's definitely why. Uh, and it's sad, but that's yeah. that's definitely why. And because we definitely, we ended the f- previous movie on a downer. And we're, yes. we're coming in on a downer. Yes. Uh, it wasn't like a, this isn't a happy beginning. This is true. the beginning of the end, like, you know. So when we started watching this movie, Luna has a random line about wind while chimes. they're at Bill and Fleur's. She's there's some wind chimes, and she kind of strokes them as Luna does. Yeah, and says, "Muggles think these keep evil away." Yeah, and I was like, "Do we?" Yeah, I, didn't, <laughs> I never that heard that for. I was like, huh? but then I did a quick uh, Google. And I found out that in ancient Rome, bells were believed to ward off malevolent spirits. Well, there you go. So I guess that connects. Like, you, how dare you doubt Luna? She knows that kind of stuff. <laughs> she knows that kind of stuff. I also I loved the image of when Hermione is Bellatrix. There's Bellatrix on the beach. Yeah. And like, like her me. in her Tim Burton get up. Yeah. It's like <laughs> pulling her corset around like <laughs> Jesus, sand everywhere. Um, I thought it was really weird that Malfoy was a prefect during Snape's first year. Yeah, we get that kind of mention of that in, in the, the memory. memories. And I thought that was strange because I had always imagined Lucius being like the same age, if not slightly younger. I never well, imagined Lucius being older than Snape. I don't know. I just thought that was talked, weird. We had a long conversation the other night about how Lily and James were only 21 right. when they died. And Snape was in their year. Yeah. So he was also young. Right. Um, a lot younger than Alan Rickman. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think Alan yeah. Rickman is part of it. He's when Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Because Alan Rickman looks at least as old yeah. as Lucius does in the but movies. But if, if, if Lucius was a prefect, then he was at least a fifth year. Yeah. Like, at, at minimum. Yeah. He was a fifth year um, during Snape's first year. So I guess they just waited a little longer to have kids. Yeah. We get an answer to our question from the last one about why couldn't Snape just leave the sword yes. <laughs> on the ground? Yes. <laughs> That's mentioned in this book. We both had this note. Uh, the sword must be taken under conditions of need and valor. Yeah. So basically you have to be a hero in order to yeah. get the sword. So leaving it on the ground, uh, conditions of need met, but not, not conditions, conditions of valor. Of valor. No. They're diving into an icy death lake. Valor. Valor and it. need. You're there. <laughs> uh, I thought this, I had to mention this because I, this has got to be the first time in all these books this word is used, it right? It is. It has to be. So I, and I blew my mind. I didn't remember this. The, somebody refers, do you remember? It's not even a person. It's in the, it's just like, in it's the in the prose, prose that, uh, the Hogwarts students and people from Hogwarts are referred to as Hogwartians. Yeah. Or Hogwartians. Hogwart- I don't know. I was debating that myself. I went with Hogwartians as like Martians. Yeah, like Martians. Martians. Hogwartians. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I guess there wouldn't be a word for it. Yeah. Sh- I, sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, Hogwartians. Hogwartians. Either one. Whichever you prefer. Still think it's silly and fun. I 
found this a little bit troubling um, in the movie, the scene where uh, Lily and James and everybody show up in the woods to comfort Harry. Yeah. They have Lily echo Snape's always. And I just found that troubling. Because it's, 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 why would she say that? Mm. She wouldn't. What is the context of her saying that again? He asks, I think he asks if they'll, they'll be with him to the very end or something like that. Does she say that? Oh, cause her, he goes, cause, cause James says the same thing he says in the book, which is Harry goes, will you stay with me? And James goes to the very end. Yeah. Does she add on always? I think she does. I don't remember that. Yeah. Okay, I'll take your word for it. So I, don't remember I that. made a note of it. Yeah, no, I'm sure you. Yeah, I'm sure she does. But that's weird. Yeah, I agree. That doesn't like. Why would she? Yeah, it's weird. Because, because Snape's always wasn't even something she, he said to her. I mean, maybe I guess the implication is it was. But even if that's that's yeah, that's weird. Like, what's the implication there? Like, just as another connection between them. But we don't need because she doesn't like Snape. <laughs> He's <laughs> obsessed with her. She doesn't like him anymore. I don't. He's a fucking. Uh, yeah, racist I, asshole who is responsible for her and her husband being dead. <laughs> like, that's weird. Yeah, I love this. I love this about the book. Yeah, and the movie. I love that even when Dumbledore's dead, he shows up at the end of the book to explain everything that happened. Yep, we get our standard Dumbledore <laughs> explaining the plot to us. Yep, it wouldn't be a Harry Potter book without it. I guess yeah. doesn't even matter that he's not with us anymore i, I like i i'm a big fan of the fact that hermione and ron had the wherewithal not to name their kids entirely after dead people <laughs> and i feel like that was a big hermione decision yeah probably ron was like we should name them fred and lou lavender and hermione was like how about not <laughs> how about we don't do that um Although Rose could be That's a still a flower name. could be an illusion Maybe to Lavender. Maybe they compromise. Yeah, they compromise. And they're like, all right, Rose, and then uh, Hugo. I don't know what. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, Rose and Hugo are their kids' names. Yes. And, and then, then of, Jenny of and course, Harry leaned into it hard. Jesus. Alberus Severus Potter. All right. You know, here's the other thing about that is that I can't imagine that book Jenny would have allowed that. I, yeah, I wouldn't think. I would I agree. Think I wouldn't so. think so. Yeah, it's. It, we'll, we'll, we may talk about it more in the problematic. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we can mention it a little bit here. But that, that epilogue, and we talked about it a little bit before. I don't hate it overall because it's 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 irrelevant and it's like a nice like little yeah. like happy ending feel good thing. But it's super bad. Yeah, like it's not good. It's super. It's like fan servicey, and fans didn't even like it. Yeah, it's it's fanfic to the nth degree written by J.K. Rowling. And it's it, mm. it's I remember when I first read it, I liked it in the in the in the emotional raw state I was in at the end of yes. this book. It, it, the first time you read this book and you're dealing with Lupin and Tonks and Fred being dead and you're like, what the fuck did I just, what all you know, all this shit just happened. And you get that and you're like, OK, whew. they are all happy and they named their kids after important. Oh, and you think about it like a month later, and you're like, that yeah. was fucking stupid. No, it's, it's a very juvenile treatment yeah. of yeah. the uh, end of this series. Yeah, 17-year-old me emotionally wrought after finishing yeah. this book. Love that chapter. That's not necessarily a good ringing endorsement <laughs> of that chapter. <laughs> Who raised Teddy Lupin? You said you had an answer to this. I do have an answer to this. He was, okay, because here's my thing that was weird to me, is that... 
Lupin names Harry the Godfather, yes. and then Lupin and Tonks die, and then Harry doesn't raise the kid. So J.K. Rowling has confirmed that he was raised by his maternal grandmother. Oh, because so, she lives. Yeah, Tonks's Tonks's mom, mom lives. Because yeah. we know Tonks's um, dad dies, but... I would have to assume that Harry doesn't raise this kid because Harry's 17 I agree. years old. I agree. I 100% agree. I just was wondering. I didn't know. And now we know that they, yeah, we knew Ted was with the grandma during yeah. that, like that, and that spends time. I, okay. Yeah. And that, I can buy that and it makes sense. I just. No. Harry is not equipped for childcare. No, not remotely at that point. And yeah, I agree. I was just like, well, he's his godfather. They're both dead. Harry's raising this fucking kid at seventeen. No. with Jenny. Good <laughs> it'd luck. It'd be like it'd be like um, that scene from Parks and Rec, where Andy's like, "I didn't know anything about infant care." <laughs> yeah. My God, I could have killed <laughs> her. Killed her. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. All right. That was it for our general discussion. Now this is it. It's the ultimate final verdict. No. <laughs> Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. Okay. So, first, and again, this is all sort of perfunctory, but... Is that the right word? Yes. Okay. Uh, first, uh, is this book better than these two movies? Yes. Yes. I will say also, the biggest flaw this is up and we mentioned it earlier this is these two movies are like some of the best adaptations of this material they did a really good job up to a certain point up until the point we talked about we don't need to rehash it but yes in general great adaptation great sort of um i say great adaptation i don't know how great of an adaptation it is it's a great adaptation for book readers yeah <laughs> in my opinion where it's it's a a good uh complimentary piece uh-huh. to the book um, for book readers up until the end. Uh, but again, some of the stuff I feel like you wouldn't be able to follow as a, a non book mm-hmm. reader, but anyways, man, whatever. Um, but yeah, the book's still better. There's so much more detail. The whole backstory, Dumbledore, uh, the themes, the themes, the themes, the themes, always the themes, yeah. the themes like that's the, the, the refrain of this whole series is yeah, you got the plot, but what's the point? And some of it's there. I don't want to, yeah take away too much but and then finally is the series of movies better than the series of books god no yeah no, no. <laughs> yeah the books are the book series is and better. honestly like we've been through this we've hashed through all of the different issues with the different adaptations yeah but for me it really does all boil down to the themes yeah the books mean something yeah like, they really and truly do. And, you know, J.K. Rowling has has become a little bit of an issue. We're going to talk about lately. that. Lately, we're, we're going to talk about talk it. We're going to talk about that. Um, Not in this episode. But you can't deny the impact that this series has had. Absolutely not. And it's and it's and it's perpetual relevance. Yeah, I think and the and the books even way more so than the movies again because the themes because mm-hmm. and themes are what keep things relevant. Yes, plots don't. I mean they can, but the plots in the movies are still great. They're basically the same as the books, relatively. But the themes and especially the themes about love, the themes about fascism, the themes about mm-hmm. equality. The themes are what make it meaningful. All of those things will always eternally be relevant and important. And yes, they're what make it meaningful. And they're what make it also incredibly 
re-readable mm-hmm. because those are things that I didn't catch nearly as much yes. as a child. Yeah. And where I was much more entertained by the story. Yeah. So if you have been listening along and you maybe haven't read these books since you were a kid, I implore you to yes. go back and read them. Highly recommend because I think, like you said, I had, if you, I think people that, that read the books maybe once or twice and then saw the movies be like, yeah, the movies are great. Yeah. And you know, and, or maybe you still like the books a little bit more, but I implore you go back Yes. And see what we're talking about when we say that. Because, I mean, we can say and expand on the fact that the themes, the themes, the themes all. And and we've talked in detail at different times about the different themes and how they didn't incorporate them the right way or didn't focus on them enough and why that's a problem. But you really get it by going back and and reading it and seeing what's there, especially as an adult with a more critical eye on what J.K. Rowling is doing, because despite all of, again, the problems we're going to get into with some of the stuff she said, what she some of the ultimate points she's going for there are truly like good things yeah. <laughs> like important things important themes so yeah go 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 read the books it's a, it's more of a time investment in the movies you can just watch but you're not you're not going to get the same thing out of it no not at all it's worth the extra time to learn a little so all right, that's it. It's over. It's over. It's done. It's done. Okay, wow, three hours and 20 minutes. Ooh. Yeah, I knew that was going to be a long one, but uh, that's it. We did it. We've, we're done. Uh, none of our episodes should be quite this long ever again. Um, probably, until we get to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Until we get to Lord of the Rings. That's going to be... <laughs> probably. Oof. Yeah. At least uh, that's only three books. And we're not nearly as uh, personally involved in... That's also that true. I mean, I love those. Yeah. I, that's one of the ones where those movies mean more to me than the books yeah. do, personally. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. That might be interesting to flip that on its head. Um, but anyways... Uh, yeah, so we'll be back to our normal like hour, hour, 15 minute episodes instead of three hour and 30 yeah. minute episodes. Thank you for sticking with yes. us. Uh, gone through all of this. I think people have been enjoying them. Like I said, they're our most downloaded episodes, at least over the short time they've been out. They've yeah. seen a lot of downloads, a lot of new listeners. I have a feeling it seems like. Uh, and so, yeah, I hope you stick with us now that we're done with Harry Potter. We are going to have one more Harry Potter episode. Yeah, that's not it's going to be a, a we mentioned this a couple times. A discussion of the problematic elements the in all of their yeah. different facets. We're going to make a list and hash it out. So th- that'll be forthcoming. I'm not sure exactly when we'll be able to yeah. put that together. Because that, that also may include the discussion. We may include something about Crimes of Grindelwald and yeah, that. We, we may on, end up going to see that. And keep kind of rolling that all into one yeah. big mega episode. Uh, the Crimes of J.K. Rowling. I've, <laughs> I've heard like... I've managed to avoid spoilers for that movie so far, but I've heard like so many negative things about it that I'm kind of like dreading going to see it. I know. I'm almost wondering if I've heard so many negative things about it now that I'm like, I'm going to go and be like, that was all right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I ever thought it was as bad as it was, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I also think it's going to have helped having read these very recently because of all the apparent like character tie-ins and all this sort of stuff to the original series. I'm going to be interested to see how that works with a fresher memory of the books. Either that or we're just going to be that much more horrified. That's what I mean. Maybe. Maybe that much more horrified. I'm not (laughs) sure, but we're going to find out. So look out for that. Uh, What are we doing next time, though? Um, We are doing our, our Christmas adjacent 
yes. episode. Our first December episode. Yes. Which will be Night at the Museum. Yeah. Um, so we'll have a prequel for that next week. Mm-hmm. And then the following week, we'll have our main episode. Until then, once again, if you can do us a favor, rate, review us, whatever you do on all of the services where you listen to us. We're also on Spotify, as I mentioned at the beginning. Follow us on the social media. Oh, social media, yeah. All the social media. All the social media that's out there, you can find us there. And until next time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep being awesome. (laughs) 